0: Hey
1: brother, what's up?
0: What's good, Harsh? How are you?
1: All good, all good. I see the whole new green light in the background.
0: Yeah, so it's actually one light that you could change with this remote. Um it's pretty useful. I mean, it adds to a different ambiance depending on the episode. Do you ever use any of these lighting for your for your home?
2: I don't
1: actually. I have a white light and a natural light which is yellow. But I have a few friends who like to throw house parties and they use this type of stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. During Christmas, uh, are there Christmas lights that's decorated on the houses?
1: There are some Christians who live in India. Not a Mm -hmm. lot. And those guys celebrate Christmas and they will decorate their houses and give us candy or something. So back when I was a kid, there used to be a lady who was a Christian. And on Christmas, she would call us to her house and give us sweets. You know, those expensive chocolates from America, Bounty and Ferrero Rocher or or whatever.
0: Godiva. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I used to love that stuff as a kid. So despite me not being a Christian, I have
0: good memories of (laughs)
1: this (laughs) festival they have. But in India, we celebrate Diwali, which is actually the Festival of Lights. And in that time, the entire country is completely lit up.
0: What exactly is Diwali? Is it more of a cultural thing or religious thing?
1: Diwali is a religious thing. So essentially, are you familiar with the Ramayana?
0: I believe you brought it up before. It's a book, right?
1: It's an epic in India. And it's a story of the journey of Lord Ram, where his wife gets kidnapped by a demon who lives in Sri Lanka. I mean, not exactly a demon. It's a Rakshas, but the English equivalent would be a demon. And he has to spend 14 years in the jungle and then he rescues his wife, Sita. Then he comes back to his kingdom. And Diwali is a celebration of him returning to the kingdom.
2: Mm, okay.
0: And is he someone that... He's regarded as a god, right?
1: He's regarded as a god. But in the actual... In the Ramayana itself, it isn't clear whether he's a god. He, he's the king, of course. He's the son of a king and he becomes the king. And he's born out of divine favor, you could say, where the actual king, the Dashrath, he is Mm -hmm. unable to conceive. He's not having kids. So he does a yagya, which is like a sacrifice. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then God shows up and gives him something like a curd. And that curd is supposed to help his wife have children. And what he does is he gives a portion of that curd to three of his wives. So his first wife, which is Kaushalya... Mm-hmm. He has three wives. He three wives. Like Harsh is jealous. <laughs> mm.
0: <laughs> Harsh is no so more. First...
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Go, Go ahead. He gives his first wife a half of that curd. And that first wife gives birth to Ram. And then the other two wives get something like the other the second wife gets half of the remaining half. And the third wife gets half of the remaining of that and the first one gets whatever is left again so ram is born out of divine favor and is considered a god but it's unclear whether at least to me it's unclear whether he's actually supposed to be a god or he's supposed to be a really great king we're supposed to learn from because Mm. i've seen say the books of the vedas and the vedas do not have ram or krishna or all the modern Puranic gods The Vedas have more simpler gods, like the god of rain, wind, fire, Soma, and things like that. So it seems like there is, well, you could say Hinduism has completely different versions. If you go back, say, 5,000 years, and you would say, take the Rig Vedic deities, Mm -hmm. the gods, their way of life and their way of thinking is completely different from, say, the gods that we have in the Puranic era, etc., etc. So Hinduism has evolved over 5, 6, 10,000, how many ever thousands of years it's been around. And when you go back in time, it's a completely different way of thinking, different gods, different things you worship. For example, modern day, you are not supposed to worship Indra because Indra is the god of rain. And it said that if you worship Indra, rain is the only thing you get. You don't get anything else. And you're supposed to worship Krishna because Krishna is the god of everything. And mm-hmm. if you worship Krishna, then you get everything, not just mm-hmm. one thing. The idea is that you get what you worship for. But back in those days, this concept didn't exist. People would worship, say, fire, rain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was a different... I would not say it was a different religion completely. But the way of life and a lot of things was very different. So I would say the Vedic Hinduism... And the modern Bhakti Hinduism are are very, very different religions. I mean, let's go with that. You could say they are different.
0: Okay. I have noticed that because my Hindu friends here, they'll tell me that Hinduism is very decentralized. So there's not just one way to practice it. it, it there's different versions, as you said. And there's certain folks that are more into worshiping, more into that Bhakti style. And then there's a completely different style that I one time heard of, where the guys are more inquisitive in nature they're just observing themselves trying to discover their real self and apparently both those are versions of hinduism it's just practiced in different ways
1: the whole bhakti style seems to be a more modern thing maybe like the past five six hundred a thousand eight hundred years or so like in the past millennia it seems to have become much more popular but once again i'm not an expert in hinduism i'm just you know a guy who likes to study about these things. And I was born in a Hindu family and I consider myself to be a Hindu, but not an expert, but from what I understand, I am not a fan of the whole Bhakti movement. I think it's like they're trying to scam God in the sense, mm-hmm. the idea is that if you just say God's name and sing his praises, you will go to heaven because God, that's what he wants. You know, you say they actually have a concept where, if you take God's name right before you die, you go to heaven. And it doesn't matter how evil you were or what you did in your life, you will go to heaven if you say God's name right before you die. And that to me sounds completely ridiculous. Because these are people who are trying to get something for free. You know, they are trying to they think if if God exists, which is a little bit of a debate, but if God exists, do you think God would be so stupid? To give you free things and let you go to heaven, just because you said his name before you died, does that make any goddamn sense? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I mean, if you had, if I, I'm willing to wager that if you went back a thousand years before this whole bhakti movement, and you explained to them that people now believe that singing songs about God is going to send them to heaven, they would laugh in your goddamn face. Do you? Because when you take Hinduism, the centralised, the, the main philosophy that I say consistent, say from the Rig Vedic gods to today, is the concept of Dharma, which is doing what is right. It's about doing what is right, not about singing, about, singing songs. Singing songs is not going to get you anything, in my opinion. So all these people who are doing pujas and you know singing songs and doing devotional stuff, going to temples, in my opinion, are wasting their time. I could be wrong. Like I said, I'm not an expert in Hinduism. But this is my, you're, you're getting Harsh's take on Hinduism. And Harsh's take on Hinduism that is that it's about your acts. It's about your dharma and actually doing what is right. And not about, say, singing songs or sitting in a temple all day, starving yourself to death like the Buddhists seem to do and things like that.
0: So out of curiosity, you mentioned that Bhakti has one of the most pull in India right now do your family because it's
1: easy because it's easy
0: do they try to do Do they try to get you to sing the devotional songs do the bhajans and all of that not really would you do it my family isn't
1: very pushy i would do it if they asked me to once in a while but i wouldn't if they wanted it to become like a daily thing sit for half an hour then no Mm -hmm. but If there's a festival going on, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to join in, you know, join into the puja, join the celebration. And, you know, I I would join the rest ceremony, of course, but I wouldn't incorporate it in my daily life. I personally, this is just my opinion. I think it's a bit of a waste of time. I don't think God is so foolish to give you things for free.
0: Gotcha. I wonder if there is some sort of science that they're working with or if that's pretty, because I mean, obviously we don't know, but I wonder if there's a guy that's a bhakti that's really intellectually sound that does this for a particular reason
1: so they have these things going on which i'm not sure how true they are but they claim like these are scientific studies and they say that pronouncing certain syllables produces some kind of vibrations and energy in your body personally i don't buy it i think it's just random stuff they made up just to prove themselves right This, this is my opinion But this is a science they have been propagating. And there are also other sciency things which they have come up with, which could be right, could be wrong. But, for example, they will say things like, the human body was meant to eat a vegetarian diet because we have molars and because our intestines are very long. And apparently carnivores are supposed to have shorter intestines and herbivores are supposed to have longer intestines. And because our intestines are long, it's proof that we are supposed to be vegetarians. And I mean, on the face of it, it sounds too good. And I used to believe it for quite a while too. But lately, I've started eating more meat and my health has been really, really, really good. Oh, so, how has
2: that been?
0: What's the transition in feeling have been like?
1: More energy, more fitness, less hunger, really good so far.
0: Can you so share the which point meat? Is that, sorry, what? Can you share which meat?
1: I mostly chicken and fish.
0: Gotcha. Go
1: ahead. And eggs. My point is that the science they have, it may or may not be valid. I don't know how intense the science they've done. When I say intense, I mean, you know, I can produce a study that concludes anything because most scientific research is not done properly. They don't, they, For example, if they have something they don't like, they throw out that data and they only take the data which they want to take. And they don't actually follow proper, unbiased scientific methods in many cases. And this is not just for religious science, but also, you know, where it makes a lot of money. For example, the COVID vaccines trials. A lot of these modernized studies and everything are turning out to not be as accurate as they were described by the media. Which, of course, is bad for people's trust in science. But then again, at the end of the day, science is about figuring out the truth and not about publishing articles. And low IQ people think science just means the magazine said this, so it's true.
0: Trust the science, bro.
1: Trust the science, bro. (laughs) If you have to trust it, it's not science.
0: There's this famous quote that says, men lie, women lie, but numbers don't. But nowadays, I mean, I have a remix of that quote. It's men lie, women lie, and numbers mislead. So people will always throw out these different numbers and these different statistics. My thing is, how did you discover uh, these particular numbers? What story are you trying to tell with these numbers? And normally when you trace it back, you'll see a lot of people are operating with biases. It's easy to do, especially with a lot of these data visualization tools that you have nowadays. You can honestly just make up a story with a bunch of these different numbers.
1: Have you imagine. heard that there's a yeah. quote that says statistics are a bastard science?
0: I could believe that. Have you ever heard of a thing called Tableau? No. It's like Microsoft Excel on crack where you could actually see a lot of these uh, statistics and a visualization of it. So one time I had to actually do this uh, report where we got a bunch of data from Airbnb and we were supposed to extract some information out of it. The project was due the next day. And I completely forgot about it. So I was completely BSing right now with Tableau. I was getting all these different statistics. And I'm like, as you can see from Airbnb data in Chicago, uh, the tourists like to go to local spots rather than McDonald's. That's why they're willing to put in a long walk. I'm just making up a bunch of bullshit with the data that I've been presented. And I kid you not, my professor was like... Amazing. Your report was so great. I learned so much. And he doesn't know that (laughs) (laughs) this is pure BS. Uh, But since the numbers were on my side, he believed it. So a lot of folks will do stuff like that. They'll have this pre-existing narrative, and then they'll find the numbers to validate that narrative.
1: Hey, you're preaching to the core on that one, brother. I am an accountant, trained accountant.
0: Okay, so you've seen this done in action plenty of times.
1: I've done it in action plenty of times.
0: Oh, you've done it too? For example, if you want to value a
1: company, I can value your company at whatever price you want it to be valued at. Mm -hmm. Because most valuations are a discounted cash flow analysis, right? And I can predict whatever cash flows you want me to predict. So,
0: uh, you pay, if you paid me good enough, I would predict your company to be a unicorn. <laughs> you are officially a millionaire, buddy. Sign <laughs> up for Forbes. Get this man of Forbes article.
1: Man, don't even get me talking about Forbes. But you the point roasting is that them recently. You are 100% correct when you say statistics can be used to mislead. And they almost always are used to mislead. Because mm-hmm. people have these biases, right? They think, okay, if it's printed, it must be true. If there are numbers, it must be true. If the number is not a rounded number, it must be accurate and things like that. So if I say, you know, the, the Everest is eight kilo, eight kilometers tall, you're gonna think, okay, so the eight kilometers is an estimate, even if it's actually eight kilometers tall. But if I say the Everest is eight, eight kilometers and three meters tall, then you will think, okay, this is like an accurate figure. So there are these human biases we have and people typically tend to trust numbers more than they should.
0: And sometimes these people are so well informed on whatever lie it could be that they could actually out debate someone who basically knows the truth. For example, a lot of folks nowadays say that the earth is flat and these folks that have reached this conclusion, didn't just accidentally wake up in the morning and say the Earth is flat. They've been doing research for five to 10 plus years. So nowadays, when they're trying to debate a lot of these folks that know that the Earth is round, the guy who believes that the Earth is round or knows it doesn't do all this research. So when they debate the flat earther, the flat earther is coming with all these different statistics that puts the <laughs> the guy who's just taking the Earth to be round um, Uh, to shame in a debate so a lot of the times uh, someone who has an inaccurate idea um, but still believes it to be true and is equipped with a lot of these studies can outmaneuver a guy who knows the truth in a debate that is because finding
1: the truth and knowing how to win a debate are two entirely different things
0: Mm. care to expand
1: When you were in school, Arman, did they teach you how to debate and how to write essays?
0: Nope.
1: They do that nowadays in many places. They will teach you how to debate. And notice one thing. They always focus on how to, say, spin words, how to get people's emotions roused up, how to attack someone's character. For example, if you say something like, a vegetarian diet is a good diet, then I would be taught to say something like, that's what Hitler used to eat. Mm-hmm. And are you saying that narcissism is good?
0: Right. They'll connect one idea to a completely disparate idea.
1: Basically, winning an argument or winning a debate and finding out what is true are different things because winning a debate is fairly easy to do if you use a lot of ad hominems. Or not just ad hominem, but all of these fallacies, you know, all the like, I forget, there's like a huge list of fallacies they teach you. And they, this, you can say this to convince people of this, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a slippery slope fallacy. There's a fallacy, is like, what aboutism? For example, if you say killing people is bad, what about this guy? He's a good person, but he killed someone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's what aboutism, et cetera, et cetera. So if you want to arrive at the truth via debate, you need to have some kind of rules which prohibit these fallacies so that you can actually have a debate based on facts. But today, or I mean, I would say across history, whenever you get in a debate, it's not about winning for facts. It's more about proving the other person wrong and proving yourself right or your side correct. And you're better off learning all these fallacies than not learning them.
0: Yeah, and at times it it could be the other person is already just entering the debate offended. And if you're trying to debate them with logic, they're just going to take that offended attitude and just permeate it throughout the debate. For example, uh, let's say say you're someone that believes in the right to bear arms. You're like, you know what? I would like a gun in my house just in case a robber ever breaks in. I feel more confidence with a gun versus a baseball bat. And the person you're debating is like, Well, my dad died uh, because uh, he shot himself with the gun that he bought. And And now my thing is, wait a minute, bro. I mean, that's a completely different case. But you're coming in with that hostility because of what happened to your dad in this debate. And the fact that you can't control your emotions right now is going to skew this debate in a way that it doesn't need to be skewed. So a lot of the times, man, I mean, if you're going to debate, the biggest challenge is to find out if this debate... Is even worth it and you could tell if it's worth it if the person you're debating with is actually trying to pursue the truth or they're just trying to joust and do showmanship
1: in most cases at least in my experience unless you are debating someone who is like a trusted friend or someone you know well and you know they have goodwill they aren't they aren't trying to malign you or aren't trying to just waste your time or aren't just trying to score some kind of political points only in those cases it's beneficial to debate somebody because when you debate people in public first of all no one is going to change their mind that's that's just how people are people don't change their mind unless there is a feeling of goodwill among both of you Mm -hmm. and secondly it just becomes one of those things where everybody's you know emotions get roused up and no one actually, nothing actually happens. So it's kind of a waste of time, but still mm-hmm. there are there are benefits in knowing how to do it well. I will make this one claim that you are, it's much more profitable to learn the truth and to act based on how reality is, than to delude yourself using your own debating skills into believing that reality is something different from what reality actually is. And the simple example I can give you is, well, if you take something like dressing sense, if you meet a lot of these academic types, like teachers and what have you, they believe that dressing well is not important because we should not judge people based on how they look. And that may or may not be true moralistically whether we should or should not judge based on how people actually uh, look but in the real world people judge you based on how you look Mm -hmm. and if you base your thoughts in reality then you would wear clothes that fit you that make you look good present you in the best light possible but when you are this intellectual type you kind of start deluding yourself using your own debating skills, what have you. People don't care about how you look. They're not supposed to care, etc., etc. And then you start acting in a way that is not aligned with reality. You start wearing say, bullshitty clothes, make you Mm -hmm. look bad. And then you suffer the consequences and then you wonder why you have these consequences and then you blame the world.
0: Yeah. It happens so often, man. And you'll see people in your immediate circle doing this. You may even do it. I may even do it. And over time, one day you just wake up and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm feeding into my own BS right now, where certain guys, uh, let's say you're very short, you're five foot six, they, a lot of them are just going to dwell on that. They're going to be like, man, these girls are swiping left on me because I am too short and they're a heightist." I'm like, bro, look at you, bro. You go out wearing sweats. Do you think that this is the appropriate way to look? I mean, you're five foot six. That's something you can't control. But what about your fashion? And then they'll look at me in disgust. like fashion. bro, that's for gay folks. That's for women. I'm like, all right. I mean, if that's what you want to think, you could think it. But it's having a role because we process so much information with the eyes where you got to take fashion somewhat seriously. And as a guy, you don't even have to do that much. You just need to be in shape. And you need to wear clothes that fit. Most guys just do one or the other. Most guys wear clothes that fit, but they're not in shape. And a lot of guys um, are in shape, but they don't wear clothes that fit. If you could do both of it, then you'll see that you don't have to go all glitz and glam. You just have to focus on the basics. But a lot of guys, man, they get prissy when you tell them your fashion matters. I agree. See,
1: there is a difference between being obsessed with how you look Mm-hmm. And not caring at all about how you look, in the sense, some people like to act like there are only two options for you. You can either be obsessed with how you look and try to maximize everything and make sure that the shirt is matching and this and that, and you know, make sure you're wearing the ring or what have you. And then there are people who think, you know, looks don't matter at all, and you can wear whatever you want. Just so the shirt is like three inches loose and it's not adjusted. It's off the rack, whatever. And oh, the gosh. reality is that looks matter, but of course, it's stupid to get obsessed with them. You need to make sure you look good, mm-hmm. but yeah. you can't be dedicating hours of your life just to looking a certain way.
0: No, you shouldn't. That's why I just said two steps, man. That's all you need where you are right. Some guys think, well, if I focus on fashion, it's going to consume my life, N- bro. If you follow what these... um fashion companies are telling you. Because these fashion companies, their goal is to consistently keep giving you trends, right? And you got to keep hopping on the newest trends so they stay profitable. The very first thing you want to ask yourself is, can I see myself wearing this 50 years from now? Automatically, you have simplified your thinking to a a beautiful level. Uh, What's that thing called where you get to the first principles and it should be elegant? There's a Oscom's razor—that's the way to do Oscom's razor for fashion. Can I see myself wearing it fifty years from now? You, as a guy, you should be saying stuff like this, and then you just get in shape and you wear clothes that fit. That is all. You do not have to consume your life over something like this. But the reason that a lot of these folks think you do have to consume your life is because they're completely ignorant on the field, completely ignorant. Um, I recommend that if you are a guy and you see one of your close friends always dressing well, this guy did not just stumble into dressing well. He puts a lot of thought behind it. Ask him some basic questions, and he will speed up your success. But honestly, man, it's literally just be in shape. Have that nice V look to you, and then wear a clothes outfit. You are officially ahead of 93% of the guys out there. See, this is a bit of a hack,
1: but whoever wants to take it can take it. Next time you go shopping for clothes, take a girl with you, like a normal girl, not, not some super autistic or, you know, very plugged in girl. Like a regular girl with you and she'll help you get very good looking clothes for your body. Girls mm-hmm. are really, really good at this. As a guy, you know, we don't care about it enough. I I might go to a store. I might see four shirts. Okay, get me all these four shirts. I'm going. (laughs) I don't have time for this
0: bullshit. Do you have a lot of stuff in your closet?
1: I do, but I only wear like 10% of my closet, to be honest (laughs) with you.
0: (laughs) What's your fashion sense like?
1: On an average day, I will wear a t shirt and I will wear jeans. But it really depends on where I am. For example, if I'm half of my clothes are trekking clothes. Do you wear shorts? I will wear shorts at home, yes, or in the gym
0: but not outside and just go to the mall or something?
1: No, 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 no. I If I'm going to the mall, it's going to be like a jeans or something like that, fully covered my legs. But if I'm going for a walk, then it's going to be shorts. I will never wear slippers. Never, never do that. I almost always wear shoes. And mm-hmm. I will sometimes wear a shirt, but typically I prefer to wear T-shirts because it's faster and easier to, you know, If they start, I sweat a lot, so they dry faster, you could say. Okay. But half my clothes are not suitable for wherever I'm living in. In a sense, if I, when I move to a different part of the world, it automatically invalidates half my closet. So when I'm in a warmer place, I can't wear the cold stuff. When I'm in a cold place, I can't wear the warm stuff. So I, at a point of time, I end up using like 20, 20, 10 to 20% of my closet.
0: And it's annoying when your body size changes. You go from bulking to cutting, cutting to bulking.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to bulk too much for some time now. I'm going to stay at this 15-person body fat, maybe get down to 10 in a while. Mm-hmm. But that last bulk I did was completely crazy. I overdid that bulk. It was completely fucking insane. And I'm just happy being fitter looking now. Even though I was bigger back when I was, you know, Pulped up, could lift more. Mm-hmm. But after a certain point, you just become bigger and stronger. You don't look good anymore.
0: Right. Have you still been getting comments from your dad?
1: No. Once and, once these veins start to show up, it starts going away, right? Then you're fit again.
0: Yeah, but not from the perspective of a parent. They're probably still thinking, this guy isn't filling up a shirt like he once did. I buy new shirts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the toughest thing, man, where sometimes you'll get a beautiful wardrobe and then you bulk and the clothes don't fit. And it's such an annoying feeling when you feel that shirt hugging your stomach. It's like, come on, man. And that's when you get new clothes and then you still have your prior clothes. So if you cut, you could still wear it again. But it is difficult where nowadays just looking in hindsight, I've stumbled onto the body type that works best for me. Um I like to keep at this weight and nowadays my clothes orbit that rather than me constantly just fluctuating too much. How much do you weigh right now? Man, I hate when you ask me this cause I always got to pull up the calculator and convert it to kilograms too. Cause I know when I say pounds, you're going to be like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: okay.
0: So I'm, I'm one, hold on i 191 pounds and 86.6 kilograms. I want to get not down bad. to, I want You're to get down feet, to,
2: right?
0: yeah, I'm six feet. I want to get down to 83 kilograms though. That's my perfect weight where I have the most energy. I think I look the best and I'm trying to get down to that level.
1: Five kilos, how bad. You can do that in three months. without yeah, much
0: yeah, it shouldn't be too difficult, but yeah, that's one thing I noticed with, the fashion thing uh, do you have any suits that you wear any Custom. i have suits? some
1: suits that i will wear for weddings but i don't like wearing suits it's just too warm where i'm currently and makes me too sweaty
0: even in the wedding halls i'm pretty sure they have the ac on
1: a lot of weddings in india are open weddings they don't they're not in a hall they're in a garden type of place do they like the have sometimes yes
0: (laughs) it's so funny man one of my fraternity brothers he's so afraid of heights and he had an elephant at his wedding the thing is he married his wife in arizona so he had one wedding over there where he had to ride an elephant and he had to do all these mantras to (laughs) actually get on top of the elephant and then a couple of months later he had another wedding in florida so he had to ride the elephant again (laughs) i'm like man bro What are the logistics of getting an elephant at your wedding? Twice. Why did he have another wedding? So his wife was from Arizona. So they had a wedding in Arizona. So her family could be there. Uh, A lot of her childhood friends and stuff. And then he's from Florida. So they had another wedding in Florida. So his friends could be there. I, a lot of, this isn't normal, by the way, they just have a lot of money. But most folks, they <laughs> choose... Yeah, he's Gujarati. got the Gujarati money. But most folks pick one location and then have their friends fly to that location.
1: Yeah, but sometimes people pick shitty locations. It's so far away. And then you have to take out a week to fly there.
0: Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, bro, I'll see you in the Arizona wedding. I'm like, nah, nah, bro. I'm only going to the Florida wedding. I don't got time to go to two of your weddings. <laughs> <laughs> My brother had two weddings too. He had one in Pennsylvania and one in Florida. So I had to think of two best man speeches. I couldn't just give the same one each time.
1: Man, some of these guys actually are very considerate though when they do their weddings, and they're rich. Mm-hmm. I remember going to this one wedding, and after the wedding, they kind of sent you an envelope with just cash in it, and uh, it's supposed to be something called shagun, but chagun? the actual thing is shagun. It's you know the money they give you as Blessing. Okay. The actual thing was because they had called everyone and made them fly to this location, they didn't want people to feel, you know, what the fuck, y'all cost us so much money, have making us come here. So they sent us like an envelope full of cash and people were like, whoa, okay, that's good.
0: <laughs> were you guys expecting the cash or it was a surprise?
1: So people typically give Shagoon, but it's not that much money. It's supposed Do to be they? like a small amount. Yeah. But these guys, they give like a lot of money. In those envelopes, and people were like, okay, thank you guys for not having us waste $2,000 on our flight here.
0: Oh, so it was that much money to pay for the flight?
1: Well, not just the flight, but also like the place to stay at and everything.
0: how rich are these guys?
1: These guys are rich. Rich, rich? Rich, rich.
0: Okay.
1: You can think easily a bit of a billionaire level rich.
0: Wow. Okay. Interesting. Do you have a preference on outdoor weddings or indoor weddings? Personally, I have a preference for weddings
1: which don't waste a lot of money. In the sense, I think of weddings as it's a party you throw for one day and I think it's pretty stupid for expecting people to say spend five, ten years of their income on one party. I think that the best weddings are small. You invite everybody, but it should not be very expensive. It should be something that is decent, should have decent food, but shouldn't be such that it's so expensive that you end up paying for it for years and years
0: of your life. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been to a a micro wedding? That's what it's called, micro wedding. Not exactly, but we had some of them
1: happen during COVID. What about you?
0: I have been to a micro wedding. It was in the middle of nowhere. Apparently it was this farm area and they set up shop there I believe 35 to 50 people went and it was such a chill wedding. And this was a pretty revolutionary concept back then because people were thinking, what, what, what a little wedding. And I sometimes feel as though these wedding planners listen to unapologetic truths because in one of our episodes, we were talking about how weddings are getting smaller. I don't know about for the East, but for the West, but nowadays a very hot position is known as a micro wedding planner. And they make a lot of money. They could easily pull in six figures just from planning three to four weddings a year. So th- this is something that a lot more people are doing. But micro weddings are a completely different vibe because you know everyone. You're like, hey, whoa, I haven't seen you in a while and you guys are catching up. It- it's, a, it's a vibe, man. And it, it doesn't cost too much money. Uh, memories are there. The bride and the groom remember everyone that came. It's a completely different feeling than one of these gargantuan 700-people weddings.
1: Wait, that doesn't add up to me. So you're saying the planner herself or himself makes six figures a year by planning, say, four weddings. Right. So this person is charging $25,000 minimum per wedding.
0: Okay, so the micro-wedding planner that I was talking about does a lot of celebrity weddings. So a lot of celebrities, I don't know if you know this, they try to sneak away and do their weddings. And they do it with a small group of people. So it's not this media spectacle. So if you can do one of these micro, if you could be a micro wedding planner for celebrities, then you could just plan four to five weddings. But if you're doing it for the average folks, you're going to have to do a couple of more than that, maybe a wedding per month. Uh, But that, I mean, if that's your career, you could easily do that.
1: That makes sense. I'm not against having bigger weddings with more people. Mm -hmm. but I think there are ways you can not waste money. For example, a lot of people nowadays, they have weddings in a five-star hotel, which means you have to book all these rooms for everybody to stay at. And if you have hundreds of people staying, then you have to book 100, 200 rooms for three, four days straight in a five-star hotel, which means your burn could be as much as like a million dollars, which is completely fucking insane. But it's become very normalized now. But what I mean is you can have a lot of guests and still do a cheaper wedding by having a lower end hotel. Instead of marrying at a five star, you could marry at a ground or something like that. Instead of marrying in a big city, you could marry outside the big city, etc. Because at the end of the day, people don't remember weddings in the sense. Do you ever think like, oh, this? I really like this guy's wedding. It was so good. What ends up happening is people remember the bad parts of the wedding. You know, the food mm-hmm. was shit room was not comfortable and things like that so essentially it's an expenditure you have to make to please the public and to avoid creating animities because let's say you don't invite someone to your wedding well they're not going to invite you to theirs and they're going to think of you as an asshole it's normal human behavior mm-hmm. so your best solution in my opinion is to say come up with a reasonable budget let's say what you make in six seven months or whatever and spend that at your wedding not save your life savings on it which right. a lot of people do
0: and a lot of people their parents have been saving for this where a lot of parents in the west they save for a kid's college education they also save some money for the wedding so for certain families uh, they can even take their parents budget in, in consideration but this but is where I- it's a waste of money is it not It is. It is. Uh, Dude, you're preaching to the choir, man. That's exactly what I think. But every now and then, this is where a dick swinging competition happens, where let's say Harsh is getting married to Janice, okay? And let's say Harsh lives in the West. Your parents are big balling. Janice's parents are broke. And let's say Harsh's parents are paying for the entire wedding. Now Janice's parents are going to be like, dang, man, we owe this person some. But every now and then, Janice's parents also want the best for their daughter. So they'll say, no, you ordered these flowers, not these cheap ones right here, even though they're not paying any money. And so that's when some conflicts between the in-laws happen. I've seen it happen a couple of times.
1: I think that the only and the best way to avoid this type of nonsense is to have both families contribute equally. Mm -hmm. Because when you're not spending your own money, right, then everything seems cheap. Like, hey, we should do this. We should also do that. And when you have to spend your own money, suddenly everything is much more like, does this make sense? Is it worth it or not?
0: Yeah. In an ideal world, everyone would do that. But every now and then, bro, one of the in-laws are broke while the other in-laws are printing cash. So that's when the awkward thing happens. Like, okay, well, the rich one is thinking, okay, whatever. I guess I'll pocket the whole pill. Even though you're right, they should be splitting it 50-50. But the other guy just can't. He has mortgage payments. He just got fired from his job. The wife doesn't have a job, such and such. So this guy will pocket the whole bill. He's thinking everyone's going to treat him like a celebrity. But now, since he's pocketing the whole bill, a lot of people are taking advantage of his open wallet. They're trying to get him to spend even more. And he's like, fam, I'm already covering the whole thing. You want me to spend even more money?
1: Man... What you're saying not just applies to weddings, but to so many other things I've noticed. For mm-hmm. example, I used to have a friend. I still have this friend. And he got funded by a VC company. He got a bunch of money from that VC. And this guy used to be very stingy before. He would be like, I can't buy this subscription because it's so many dollars. and When I can buy this one, it's $20 cheaper, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And after he got VC funded, he just bought anything he saw. Mm-hmm. And he started saying things like, I can do this because I'm VC funded. I don't need to think about this because I'm VC funded. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, maybe it's not your own
0: money. <laughs> he just lost the concept of money.
1: Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck about money anymore.
0: <laughs> right. It happens, man. I mean, when you make it too easy for someone else to spend your money, that person, instead of being grateful, is just going to want more things.
1: Yeah, and if something is not as good, they're going to blame it on you. You know, The money was not enough. Right. Dude, the money was there. You wasted <laughs>
2: it.
0: Yeah. And it's crazy the politics that will happen with, with a lot of these weddings, even post-wedding. And that's when a lot of drama and politics really happens. Where uh, do you know anyone who don't like their in-laws?
1: I know a few people like that, yes.
0: Okay, so because whenever I, I mean, since you guys have a very traditional setup over there, I felt as though that the in-laws have the final say, right? Let's say the new, let's say the wife of their son is not acting appropriately. Will the wife get in line if the in-laws says something, or does it really depend? Because now over here, uh, every now and then the wife has more power. Where every now and then a Bengali will marry a Spanish girl, and. The in-laws of the Spanish girl will say, hey, we want you to wear traditional clothes when we go to these events. And the Spanish girl will say, no, I'm going to wear whatever I want. So that's the first conflict. And that conflict, uh, typically the Spanish girl ends up winning. because She's like, nope, no one can tell me what to uh, wear. And she's very adamant in this. So that's where a lot of these political conflicts happen. I was trying to see if you guys have similar situations over there.
1: We do. We have that type of situation, actually. And it got so frequent in the past decades that nowadays people look for this type of stuff before they marry.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: before you marry, they're going to ask you, like, so what kind of clothes are you going to wear? Because in our house, we wear stuff like this and not stuff like this. And if you're not okay with that, then you can't marry your son.
0: Who's asking? Oh, the in-laws are asking this. The
1: in-laws are asking. But not exactly in-laws. This is before marriage. So P- prior. the boy's mm-hmm. father will ask you.
2: Yeah, father mm-hmm.
1: and mother. They will try to see if you can fit in comfortably in their household or not. And it kind of makes sense because if you have a bunch of people in a house and they wear traditional clothes or, you know, they dress very conservatively and then you show up and now you're wearing like a bikini or revealing your cleavage. Mm -hmm. It's going to be like, what the fuck are you doing here? And likewise, if you say marry into a house where people tend to wear modern Western clothes and now you want to wear a sari, it's going to be like, the fuck? you're doing right so it's it's become like something you need to check for before you marry but yes it's definitely a thing now
0: okay usually Mm
1: -hmm. go on usually whenever i've noticed that these you know the in-laws and the the girl they don't get along and i'm typically using girl here because in indian culture the girl marries the guy and then moves in with the guy's family So typically, when the in-laws and the girl don't get along, it's usually something like this, where the girl's lifestyle is completely different from, say, the lifestyle that is expected by the in-laws. It could be something like, you know, the girl doesn't want to have any kids. Mm -hmm. And the in-laws are like, why did you, what the fuck do you mean you don't want to have any kids?
0: Bro, a lot of folks don't ask this question in the beginning where I actually know this guy that got married to a girl recently and now he's ready to have the kids. It's been three years since they've been married and she says, I don't want kids. And he's so sad because he doesn't want to divorce her, but he didn't even ask. I'm like, come on, bro. How do you not ask something like this before you guys get married?
1: Exactly. This is something that needs to be clear, (laughs) you know.
0: It's called a dink movement. Have you heard of that?
1: I have heard of it, actually. I heard it from a girl who recently got engaged She was telling me about this, you know, double income, no kids.
0: Right. So you got to nowadays ask that question. Hey, are are you dink or are you don't have a family down the line?
1: See, if you don't want to have a family, why are you even getting married? As a guy, if you're Mm -hmm. a guy and you don't want to have a family, what the fuck are you doing? Right. If I'm single, I can fuck any girl I want. The only reason I would marry is because I want to have kids. Now, why the hell would I marry and not have kids? So I restrict my sexual choices. I do top it off, I don't even get to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Am I stupid?
0: <laughs> this is not a good deal. Um, So these are certain questions you have to ask. Okay, so we talked about how a girl can fight with her in-laws. I'm trying to see what conflicts a guy can face with his in-laws. One that I've seen is when the guy is an entrepreneur, a lot of the in-laws now get involved. They'll say... How much is your business making that much only you're going to get at least a, a, another degree, right? You're also going to get a, a full-time job, right? Because business, I don't know about that. So I've seen conflicts like that happen where certain times that sort of intensity in the first meeting, the guy's like, oh man, I don't want to marry into this family. And he'll just end it right there.
1: Man, you are preaching to the core on this one because it happened to me. <laughs> Did it? Tell me about yeah, it. It happened to me. So... This was when I had gotten a marriage proposal from this girl who is a very well-known billionaire's daughter. And the guy's out there. He doesn't give a fuck about me. He's just analyzing my business. And I'm like, I don't have a problem with that. And he approves me. He's like, okay, so I like your businesses. I'm pretty happy with you. I think your work is impressive. And you can marry my daughter. Cool. So I speak to the daughter and this is what happens. The daughter turns out to be a complete... What's the word for it? I want to be polite, but well, she isn't even a percentage as capable as I am, in the sense, I mean, she isn't gonna firstly either start a business or do anything productive right there. Nor does she seem highly capable of running a household. And I'm like, dude, you did so much research on my <laughs> businesses. I did you did you see the product you are giving me in the sense I did you see the girl? Think it has to be even, right? Like you right. can't just come here, verify that I am you know, capable and whatever, whatever, and if I'm making enough money, and then when I talk to your daughter, she turns out to not nearly be worthy of me.
0: What gave then, you that impression? Do you think you're the I mean,
1: only smart person in the world? Like, do you think you're the only guy with the brain?
0: What gave you the impression she wasn't competent? She couldn't hold a conversation with you, or you asked her direct questions and she disappointed?
1: Well, both of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So how many interactions did you guys have?
1: I met, I didn't meet her. I just spoke to her on the phone a few times, but it was pretty clear that she wasn't very bright. And I mean, you... nothing to be wrong with that. You know, you can be dumb. It's fine. It's not, no, it's not a crime to not be born intelligent.
0: Was she beautiful? Because not I...
1: particularly. I mm-hmm. mean, she looked okay. Not great, but okay.
0: Okay. And I know a lot of parents that are marrying off their daughter The only thing that they're bringing to the table, they're like, okay, listen, my daughter's not the brightest, but she's beautiful. And they're able to get a lot of proposals from that alone. So you're telling me, I mean, looks-wise, over a six out of 10 or just rank it for me.
1: I would say six out of 10, yes.
0: Mm, Okay, that's not beautiful. I would say that's average. If she's a seven or eight, then she could get away with not having the other qualities. What did she do? Did she have a job or business? She,
2: well, she lived off her dad's money?
0: She
1: was 22. So, I mean, she had just gotten done with her education. Not, I mean, she hadn't worked yet. But my point is, sometimes when people are in this whole marriage thing, they want to make sure that the other party is really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. But they don't make the commensurate check with the, the, their own child. And that's actually really funny because the guys that this girl will actually marry are the guys this this father is going to reject. And the guys her father is going to approve are going to reject this girl.
0: That's crazy, man. That's such a strange dynamic. And what you just mentioned, I did notice that a lot where the higher valued person in the transaction is often getting interrogated as though they're the lower value person i'm like do you know that this person is let's say a millionaire pretty good looking uh, person has a lot of skills and such are you interrogating this person they should be interrogating you because you're not bringing that much to the table i've seen those lopsided transactions happen so many times
1: man okay, i so. have had experience with a lot of different types of girls
2: mm-hmm. and
1: i can tell you that you cannot judge a girl by the success of her father in fact in many cases, it's like a contraindicator. It op- it indicates the opposite. This girl is not going to turn out to be great. For example, I've gone out with girls who are, say, a politician's daughter. And turns out she has this bad smoking habit.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah, everything else is fine. She just smokes so much. Where I'm out with her on a date and she's smoking. When she stops on the road to buy more cigarettes for home. Didn't you just smoke three cigarettes in two hours? (laughs) What do you mean you need more for home? (laughs) And so far, it seems like if the girl's father is really rich or very well ambitious, he hasn't spent much time with the daughter. And the daughter has had freedom to take in a lot of bad habits or has adopted some kind of weird princess attitude and isn't suitable for marriage, at least not to someone like me. Which is fine. I'm not complaining about it. But my point is, a lot of these guys, when they have daughters, they try to do so much research into the guy. Is this guy worth my daughter? But they don't actually see what their daughter is worth. And they, they in their mind, it, it appears to them that men are just supposed to marry their daughter simply because they're their daughter. And they don't realize that men have their own brains and they're going to think, okay, is this girl a good fit for me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they will have more success if they try to find a guy who was more commensurate in value with their daughter and not with them, I'm not marrying the billionaire right? I'm marrying his daughter and his daughter is not good enough
0: right I mean that that's definitely true where you're definitely an outlier where you someone have the will and the, even the balls to just say nah uh, next," where a lot of guys they'll never even fathom nexting a billionaire's daughter.
1: What are you going to do with a billionaire with the guy's money? Like even let's say the guy dies, he leaves you all his money. I already right. have plenty of money. I don't need the money.
0: Yeah. But just think of, of the average Joe, you know, it doesn't lift. It doesn't, um, has a job that he, he hates, uh, watches movies all the time. Think of the, that thing guy. Is that
1: the billionaire is going to reject them, right? He's exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but he's
0: taking, he's taking that line of thinking and applying it to the outliers like yourself.
1: Yeah, so he wants the outliers, but the thing he's supplying doesn't you know, meet the requirements. It's like, I want to have McDonald's as a client, but my potatoes are not so good.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: you're in luck because your business is at least even doing well, where a lot of times when an entrepreneur is starting off, his business isn't doing that well. He's in the red. Uh, like the guy who created Starbucks, Howard Schultz, you've heard of him?
1: I have heard of Starbucks, not heard of the guy.
0: Yeah, so he's a billionaire now, but when he was starting Starbucks, he was failing for the first couple of years. And his father in law said, Listen, you need to quit playing games right now and get a job. You're wasting your time with this. And he said it in a very aggressive way, where Howard was actually going to get a job and he was going to stop Starbucks. And his wife said, No, my father shouldn't have talked to you like that. Keep going. But this happens to a lot of entrepreneurs where if they're trying to get married, like fresh into their entrepreneurship grind, they're going to get that question. What the hell do you do? What kind of business are you in? And do you make money? See, all of those, in my
1: opinion, are reasonable questions. For example, if you had a daughter, would you not ask that? If she came up with you with a fresh 21-year-old guy and the guy is like, I have a business. You would want to know what his business is because you don't want it to be something like, I sell bees in a jar.
0: Right. Absolutely. I
1: mean, it might actually turn out to be a good business. I don't know.
0: Because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the point, point is, H- Howard Schultz's father-in-law at that time was like, who's going to pay for coffee? I have a coffee maker in my crib, so he's thinking it's one of those bees in the jars of business. <laughs> 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 you, you have no clue how many dreams uh, father-in-law's ruined. I, I, do get, I do get it, though, because, yeah, when you have a daughter, I mean, you definitely want to be like, look. I get it. You're chasing your dream, whatever, but you know, this is my daughter and I want to make sure she's in good hands. How can I trust you? And and those, those are reasonable questions. Um, I'm just articulating what it is that guys, typically what sort of conflicts can they face from their potential father-in-laws?
1: What have your experiences been in this regard?
0: With what uh, potential father in laws and stuff. So here's the thing with me, man. I, I'm not even trying to toot my own horn. Parents love me. Like whenever there's proposals coming in, like I don't even have to say that much. And the the mom and the dad are like, "This guy is good." I, I could tell. So I'm just a little bit picky in my regards. Where there's certain things that I want, and in the initial stages, um, you don't quite know everything that you want. This is why you gotta date a little bit so you could even clarify it. Uh but certain p- pain points can come up that you weren't even thinking of. But to answer your question, I haven't had moments where I've had a conflict with any potential in-laws. The only close thing to a conflict was I one time went on a one date with a girl and she was so freaking nervous. Like she was like heart heart like she was just like I'm so I'm so nervous right now. I'm like all right I'll try to put you at ease. But she was so freaking like terrified the whole time and it didn't go that well for the first date. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't really know what to do right now. And then literally the next day, she's just like, so Arman, um, you have to let me know uh, when you're down to get married. I'm like, what? Wait, wait a minute. What? Uh, We went on one date. It didn't go well. And now you're asking me the timeline for marriage. Like she wanted to get married in two dates after. And that's when her, Dad was trying to hit me up and saying, "I said, trust me, man. You need to marry my daughter." Um, and he was—he started off gentle, but he's just like, "Come on, man!" He's getting a little bit aggressive, but I'm just like, "Fam, no." <laughs> <laughs> he's a—he's a businessman, so he's one of those very uh, intense world guys. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, dude, that's not gonna work with me. So I just let him know. I was like, "Look, um, I'm not going to marry your daughter after one date. That's number one. And number two. I didn't want to say that the date didn't go well, but um, I'm like, come on, man. Three dates and you want to marry this girl? <laughs> <laughs> How did the father react? And why was he expecting this? Is that normal in your country? No, man. Like this is what I'm saying. Like parents actually like me uh, a decent amount where if, I don't know. I, I actually don't know. He was an outlier where most people are just like, you know, give it some time, let it breathe and see what organically forms. But this guy, I think he saw a little bit of me and him because we're the same height. Um, He's, he's pretty young. He's very ambitious as well. He owns a lot of businesses. So I think he wanted me as a son-in-law. So he got really engaged like that. Uh, But I think we're too similar where we would be getting into a lot of arguments.
1: Uh, Ah, It could also be that he comes from some culture where this is normal. For example, a friend of mine, Mm -hmm. he was living in Germany and he just got married to a girl after going out with her once. I'm not yeah. sure if this is normal or not there, but apparently they don't date as much. I have not been to Germany, so I don't know.
0: I could actually see why that happens because the whole idea of knowing someone, I mean, you could say, yeah, yeah, I'll know someone better and date five than date one. But nowadays that's actually becoming an illusion where you think you know, but you don't really know. So a lot of folks have the logic of you, this whole knowing thing is an illusion. If you feel some sort of spark, and you guys have the same priorities in mind where you guys aren't even considering divorce, just marry and go through the ups and the downs together. So plenty of folks do the one marriage date.
1: I think the whole one marriage date thing made more sense in a pre-industrial society where things used to be much more consistent among people. And the culture was very similar. Nowadays, we have so much globalization, so much exposure from the internet. So many bad habits, all these dating apps that it's very risky to marry someone you do not know well. For mm-hmm. example, you could marry a girl in one date and turns out she's had 200 hookups on Tinder. What are you going to do then? Is there anything that can nullify that? No. I mean, there's no ups and downs who can go through so that's going to make it okay. I mean, as a guy, you're always going to resent that. Never going right. to be okay. At least I'm not going to be okay with that ever. Mm-hmm. And I know most guys are not. Like, we're just not wired that way. Likewise, if she turns out to be some kind of cocaine addict, what are you going to do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or meth- or you turn out to be some kind of meth addict to her. What is she going to do? Or let's say a girl marries a guy in one date and turns out the guy's an alcoholic who likes to beat women up. Well, you're fucked as a girl. So nowadays we have so much exposure to all these globalization, all the global culture, and people are very, very different. And that I do not believe that it is safe anymore to marry someone that you do not know reasonably well or aren't aware of how they are either by yourself or via family or what have you right right for example example, yeah go on Mm
0: -hmm. well everything that you just described the meth addict um he gets drunk beats his wife he one girl lies a lot here's a big red pill that any marriage that you've seen uh, let's say over 30 to 40 years there's some there's a huge skeleton in the closet that you don't know about maybe one person is abusive to the other maybe one person for a certain period was a hardcore drug addict and uh, and th- th- that was a stint in the marriage maybe one time someone cheated and one person had to forgive there is, no matter what marriage it is there's one big skeleton in the closet that when you're looking in it from the very beginning, it's like, well, I would never want that. It's like these folks have already been through that, so these aren't new problems. These problems actually have been here for a long time.
1: I agree with you on that regard.
0: Mm-hmm. But just, like, now we know. Now we know. We're like, oh, dang, man! Like, because a lot of these guys they didn't know. They just had the whole idea of you don't get divorced once you get married. So they went through it, and then they had these big blocks, and they still went through it. But nowadays, we are. We are cognitive or conscious of the blocks beforehand. We're like, I don't know if I'd ever want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest difference. We know where they didn't know once they were entering.
1: I do not agree with you in this regard. I don't think this type of stuff is nearly as common as you make it out to be, at least historically. Of course, it did happen. But I don't think that every marriage was like this.
0: I'm I'm not talking about the 200 body counts thing, by the way. I'm just talking about... Some big skeleton in the closet behind all these little happy families that you see of 30 to 40 years, there's something, bro. There's no such thing as the perfect marriage or a marriage without an intense conflict at one point. Granted, whatever that conflict is, by the way. Of course.
2: mm -hmm.
1: Of course, there is probably gonna be something there. Right. But what I mean is you would still want to start a family on strong foundations. And nowadays. Most people, I would not say most is a strong word, but there are many people where I would consider it suicidal to want to start a family with. Same. And until you get to know someone, you can't really know that for sure. And this is not a game, right? This isn't something where it's not easy to reverse decision. As a guy, you you get divorced, you lose half your income, you lose kids, you maybe lose half your assets what have you and it's a burden for the rest of your life and it makes it getting ha- married again harder so
2: mm-hmm.
1: i would not recommend playing russian roulette with it
0: no you're definitely right with that where you need to be serious uh you need to take some time uh, with this girl that i was telling you about where her dad wanted to be marry her after the first date So she, in many ways, was good, too, because she was very sheltered growing up. She never left the home and um, very religious, all of that. And I think that's why, just looking in hindsight, she was so nervous because that was the first ever date she was on. But even then, I'm just like, okay. so with her, I'm not having to worry too much about the promiscuity part. I I don't think she's been radicalized by any strong belief systems because she's been with her parents. I, I could be wrong because... The internet still exists. I mean, she seems so far normal, but you're right. You don't know the information fully in the in the first date. Um, you're never going to fully know the information, but you should definitely do your due diligence. At least say that you did your due diligence.
1: See, the thing about doing your due diligence is that you resent yourself less as well when, you know, if mm-hmm. things don't go so well, you're like, at least I did my best. Otherwise, you just think of yourself as stupid. but even in your case right let's say that i mean of course this girl let's say she's not promiscuous at all she comes from a religious family but there are still more things that you would like to discover if you can right
2: Mm -hmm.
1: for example some people are just uncooperative they're like fuck you i want it's my way or the highway
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and i don't think any amount of
2: religious
1: indoctrination may or may not change that i mean it might I mean, it's possible, but in my consulting experience, I've come across cases where family and people tend to be so religious.
0: Yeah, But the problem with this chick, and this was actually a deal breaker that I didn't even know that I had. She moved to the US very later on. And now, like still, I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker. I don't mind if someone moves to the US later on and now I'm talking to them. But I did notice massive communication gaps where sometimes I'll tell a joke and she just didn't get it. And sometimes I'll tell a story and she got the wrong, completely wrong context out of it. Right. Give me an uh, example. So one example, there was this one time that I was uh, walking, right. And it started to rain on rain. And I was already midway through uh, this walk. I was like, eh, let me soldier it out. So I continue to r- walk in this intense rain. And suddenly I slip and fall and I scrape my knee. Right. <laughs> so, I, so I come back uh, home and I'm like hurting on my knee. And I have a, uh, I like text the girl, like she just says, what are you up to? And eventually I just said, I'm hurt. And then she calls me just to see what happened. I told her the story that I just told you right now, that it was raining and I slipped and fell. And she's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's saying mm-hmm in a way where it doesn't really match the rhythm of the story. A couple of days goes on by she texts me she's like hey arman are you still falling and i'm like why are you framing it like i'm this old man that's losing control of his? <laughs> that's not the context that i felt i felt because i slipped when it was raining but she's like are you still falling that's all she got out of it And i'm like no nah, man i'm not an old man just falling like that and this is just one of many situations let me just give you one more situation so you get what i'm talking about okay So I got a translation of the Quran, and I just wanted to read the English version. And one day I'm talking to the girl on the phone, and I open a part, uh, and it writes divorce. And for some reason, I was like, oh, I didn't know that the the Quran talked about divorce like that. You know, it's a very straight up passage. And then she made a mental note of that. A couple of days goes on by, and she's just like, "Um, Arman, can I ask you why you're so worried about divorce? I was like, wait, what? And she's just like, that day you were looking at the Quran, all you were doing was you were reading the section of the divorce. I'm like, wait a minute, girl, you picked up the completely wrong context. I literally opened it. And that was the first thing that I saw. And she didn't get that. So she's over here creating an, a potential argument of something that wasn't even there. And that's when I realized that there were communication gaps where if you were born, or not even born here, but if you were, spending most of your life here there are certain mannerisms and such that you can pick up immediately but if you moved here later there are certain gaps that are introduced which can tremendously impact communication and that show that indian matchmaking show harsh mm-hmm. um, one of the guys who became the number one villain he became a villain for something that i could understand his name was like vivash or vikash or something he basically nexted a girl because he said she was too Indian. And it seemed very in poor taste for him to use words like that. But what he was really saying was, you know, in the interaction, you could tell. A couple of times he's telling a joke and she's just like. And I could see why he felt that awkwardness. Um, so he uh, just said, uh, no, I, I can't click like that. And that's one of these deal breakers that over time presented itself to me. If you asked me in 2015, like, what are your deal breakers? I'm not going to say someone that just born and raised here. It's something that nowadays I'm like, I wouldn't say it's still a deal breaker, but it's more so a preference. I think
1: that makes sense. And mm-hmm. given your experience, I'm inclined to agree with your assessment of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I will tell you one thing though, that, that. this is not about growing up in America per se, but more about consuming American media in the sense you could grow up anywhere in the world. A lot of Indians will do really well with communicating with Americans because they grew up watching American you know, shows and what have you, and they understand the jokes and the humor and things like that behind it. For example, if you move to India and you start talking about Indian culture, you're going to say half the things you're going to say are not, not going to be correct. But that is not true for a lot of people who grew up in India watching all these Western shows because they are kind of familiar with Western culture in that regard. I mean, they might not be experts at it. They might be wrong a lot of times, but it's not going to be alien to them.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and and I would still say it's not a deal breaker for me where if I hypothetically resonate with someone that just moved from overseas, I'm just going to see, wait a minute, are they getting the communication aspect or are they just... Hearing the content, but not the context. Because that's important. Because if you're going to be spending the rest of your life with someone, you should hopefully make sure that they're understanding what you're saying the way that you intended it. With all that being said, I mean, what's something that back then you're like, okay, this isn't a deal breaker or this isn't even a preference. But once you started dating, you're like, hmm, that should actually look more into this. This could be a problem. Do you have anything like that?
1: One thing is how the person handles a disagreement for example you and i may have a disagreement but i'm not going to start abusing you over it i'm not going to be like arman is evil or arman is bad we disagree with something that's fine Mm -hmm. but some people when they disagree they they handle it as they take it very personally so you and i may have a disagreement it could be something fundamental for example you may think the color blue is amazing i may think yellow is better but it's not going to it's not going to turn us into enemies but some people get offended by things like this like mm-hmm. you do not think this politician is good there must be something wrong with you right and then it suddenly becomes like a feature you know they it really means something to them that you think this political guy is correct or what have you so i think the fact that you can agree to disagree is actually important for long term cohesion because otherwise you cannot preserve a friendship
0: the second thing is I have observed. One thing go on. in, in regards to that, did you have a moment where the person you were talking to couldn't disagree, like an adult?
1: I mean, small movements, small moments like that. I haven't had. They a give big you the silent treatment. <laughs> I mean, no one gives me the silent treatment because I tend to move on. And okay. girls I, know that, like they like give him the silent treatment. He's fine. he's gonna find a new girlfriend.
0: Okay. Because I'm he's a, gonna it, think we, we broke up and. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That's so funny, man. Um, no, but I'm asking you for something from your direct experience as you started the dating. Um, and uh, as you started dating uh, from your direct experiences, what's something that you were introduced to and you're like, hmm, this could be a pain point that I wasn't expecting. So the disagreement part, uh, I mean, I guess you you didn't really experience it that much because people know you're oh, a high you value guy. You want a
1: girl and you really, mm-hmm. really want a girl who can handle her emotions without dumping them on you. I mean, all girls are going to do that to some extent, but some girls will waste hours of your life just on their emotions. Like you said something, they felt bad and now they feel insecure and they want to talk to you about it for an hour or something.
2: Mm -hmm. And a
1: lot of girls will waste a ton of your time on that kind of shit.
2: Did that ever happen to
1: you? That has happened to me a couple of times with a couple of girls. Did you really mean that when you said I'm like, I didn't even realize I said that. (laughs) I had forgotten about
0: it. There was this TikTok prank where couples were telling the other person, I feel like you could have been nicer to me today. <laughs> and a lot of couples were like, what? W- when was that mean to you? But I feel like if your girl pulled a prank like that on you, you'd be like, who cares? Who cares about your feelings?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not something I would say, but
0: no, no, no. no. Pretty I, much I do, <laughs> do they try gossiping to you a lot? And you're just like, okay, I'll listen to it for a little bit, but I got to go back to doing something else
1: i have rarely dated girls who gossip a lot and Mm -hmm. even if they do they don't typically gossip with me because i don't partake in it
0: do you think you have something as as well where it's like oh man that's a big red flag i could tell you one of mine just so if it can inspire an answer out of you
1: of course tell me
0: um so for me i'm a really bad caller so some girls um will ask me to call them and i'm just like ah dang man so i'll try to I'll try to do it in a very structured way. I'm like, at what time, blah, blah, She's like, you can just call me whenever. I'm like, I got shit to do, man. Like, we got to really bring this down. Um,
1: <laughs> you I need a Google annotation.
0: <laughs> I had it needs to be on my girl. calendar. Right. I knew this one girl a long time ago. Uh, we are dating. She went to Bangladesh. And she's like,
2: you're going to call me every day,
0: Right like every day i mean i'll call you once a week maybe <laughs> <laughs> so that could be a that could be a red flag because with girls i mean they communicate differently than men where me and harsh by the way we're not after these episodes we're not talking on the phone like hey buddy how's your day going right uh, we could just every now and then talk where if you're trying to build a connection with a girl and she's really letting her guards down calling is a very big thing and that's something that I find difficult to do too much. Hmm. You? You have anything? See,
1: in my case, I'm not sure if it's a red flag or not, but I would probably say it is. And it's hard. I don't get attached very easily, and I get detached just as quickly.
0: I was going to actually say that. I was going to say your one most likely is moving on fast, which is a it's a good thing, but it could be a bad thing from the girl's lens. Like, wait a minute. So I'm not allowed... A couple of fuck-ups before he finds someone new
1: yeah something like that so i'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing i mean i can i can make an argument that it's a very good thing on the other hand i can also make the argument that it's a very shitty thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: but the fact is that i don't get attached to things or people or anything fast and when it comes to physical items like Things, I'm not attached at all. So I've had some things I've worn for many years. And if I lose them, I wouldn't feel a hint of sadness. But there are some people who are really attached to something they've had for a long time. I'm not one of them. Right. And with being attached to people, typically not attached to people. Like I've dated girls for a while, broke up and not been like, okay, fine. So I broke up with her. Didn't feel that good that day, but two, three days, I was just as good as normal. And doing whatever I was going to do. And I know for a fact, these girls, it affected them much more than it affected me because Mm -hmm. they would like message me for months later. Like, Hey, how are you doing after like two months? And they're still thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, so we broke up, right? Why are you messaging me? It's been a while. So Mm -hmm. I tend to move on or I just don't get attached as much. Right. I think the only people I'm very attached to, I would say are my mother and father and my family.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. This is one of those answers where both parties are right. Remember in one of our episodes, we said whenever guys are bulking a lot, even borderline fat, guys will give them props. Guys will be like, well, at least he's lifting a lot. But from the gross lens, you're just fat. So it's one of those situations where it's good because you could lift a lot. It's bad because you're aesthetically not good looking. Now, from my red flag, it's like he doesn't call enough. From the productivity standpoint, it's, uh, well, good. I mean, he's making more time for business and skill sets and such. But from the uh, communication aspect, it's bad because I'm not allowing myself to build rapport with this person. For you, um, it's good from the guy's lens because it's like, ah, this guy knows how to move on and he could keep uh, leveling up in his life. But from the relationship aspect, it's bad because the girls are thinking, they can never let their cards down around you because you're just going to replace them.
1: Yeah, the second red flag I would say. Oh, you got a second. That,
0: okay, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I have like a, a couple of them. At least I, I think of them as red flags. But yes. this one is not something I can solve. The second one I would say is that I've dated quite a few girls, and for some girls, it's like a deal breaker. You know, you've been with a girl before, like you've dated a girl before. I'm supposed to be the first. Mm. and they can't handle it and i mean that's completely justified you know there's nothing wrong with that you know a girl may want you to be her first so that is something i can't change and i don't i personally i don't consider it to be a red flag for myself but i can see from some girls perspective that it can be Mm -hmm. some girls really care about that which is a bit surprising but some girls really care usually guys care about this a lot almost every guy cares most girls don't care, but some girls do.
0: Okay, that's a unique one. Another one that I noticed, because I know you are a extrovert, right? Mm-hmm. Do, do you know your Myers-Briggs personality score?
1: Yes, it's ESTP. But personally, I think it's all bullshit.
0: It's all bullshit, right? I mean, I agree. I don't take that shit seriously. But a lot of girls do. And every now and then, some girls... It could either be a horoscope thing or some girls will ask, actually ask you to take the personality exam. Now, if they're an, let's say an INFP or ISTJ, whatever, and they find out you, you begin with an E for a lot of them, they're scared of that and they'll call it off. They're like, oh no, no, this is one of those very strong folks. He's just going to ragdoll me in the relationship. So I've actually heard of that before where a lot of girls will call it off after they don't like your personality exam.
1: nothing wrong with that i mean if that personality exam has some semblance of truth which i'm not sure if it does but if it does then it's still a reasonable thing to reject someone for you know assuming that personality test is correct if your personalities are incompatible that is that makes sense but the whole horoscope thing is bullshit Mm -hmm. you know i i know this guy who memorized the horoscope table like this is compatible with this this is compatible with this and now he just asks the girl, what's your horoscope? And then tells them, his is the most compatible. <laughs> <laughs> Gets laid a lot, by the
0: way. <laughs> <Does> he... <laughs> the stars say that you will g- g- give me some. Um, Did you ever do one of those tarot card readings?
1: No, are you crazy? I don't have that kind of money.
0: <laughs> no, man. Some girls just know it. And there was this one girl that one time, She she's just like, I want to read you. I was like, okay. So she started pulling out these cards, and she's just like, put your energy in this necklace. I'm like, put my energy? In. I mean, this can be taken in a lot, lot of ways. you got to clarify <laughs> this one. <laughs> she's like, just touch it. And I'm like, over here touching it, man. And she's reading my horoscopes or wh- whatever Wait, the tarot question. card
1: is. Where was that necklace placed?
0: I don't know. She just put it in my hand, and then she did something with it. Oh, what? Okay, okay. Do, do you know much about this? Net- no, I'm,
1: I'm like, no, she's no, 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 no. <laughs>
2: no it wasn't it wasn't even. that's right
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she gave me it wasn't even a necklace it was like a pearl with a string around it which looked like a necklace she's like put your energy in this i was like okay and then she starts doing all these card readings man bro certain things spooked me the hell out and i was just like wait a minute how the hell did you know that how'd you know that and she just like gave me that look like and i was 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 so spooked out like girl you gotta (laughs) get away from me are you some sort of witch or something but she knew a lot of this stuff um but then later on i told my boys about the experience they're like oh yeah bro they'll just get a rough idea of something that could be accurate and once they see your face light up they'll double down on that and i was like oh okay but that day, man, that reading was somewhat spooky. So you've never done anything like that. I thought it was very, I mean, I could be wrong, but aren't a lot of folks doing horoscopes and stuff in certain pockets of India?
1: Yes, there's a lot of money making money out of low IQs and retards. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did anyone ever just say, Harsh, let me read your palm?
1: Oh, yeah, my palms. they try to read it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did I you tell
1: them, them that my palms only say I have a big dick, very <laughs> <really> educated <laughs> extremely rich <sighs> I mean, yeah, I've let them read it but you know, it's just like a bunch of fun type of stuff for example, you, know, you go out on a date mm-hmm. and the girl is like, show me your palm I mean, it's just for so fun no one's reading it seriously, you know, you take her palm and then you start making predictions and you just try to be funny, right? right? So this line means that you're going to grow six inches taller next year. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to have a tall, handsome husband that looks like me. Mm-hmm.
2: You, you, know, turn you try this to it. mm-hmm.
1: It's basically for flirting. Yes, that's how I've used it. But show me your palm, that you get to touch her hands and then you can, you know, start turning the conversation a bit more sexual.
0: <laughs> the life math money game.
1: It's stuff that I've figured out works with a certain type of women.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not all girls are receptive to this type of stuff, but many of them are. And it's a pretty simple thing, you know, to break the touch barrier and everything.
0: Do you have a certain type?
1: I like girls who are very caring, kind, and very feminine in a way. I don't like loud mouth girls. I don't like girls who are, who try to fight over everything. For example, I went out with this girl. And this is what happened. I'm not even joking. Okay. This is a completely true story. This is a girl I kind of got introduced to with a friend of mine. And I'm speaking with her. And she not only picked the restaurant, she made the reservations. She picked which table we we're going to sit at. Oh,
0: dang.
1: And she picked the food we we're going to eat. I'm like, the fuck is <laughs> up here?
0: <laughs> she pulled out the chair for you. <laughs> I'm
1: like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> you were like the woman in the date.
1: I was like the woman in the date, but (laughs) I didn't enjoy that date.
0: Do you think she was just being caring or do you think she was trying to strong arm meal?
1: I don't think she was trying to do either. I think she was just too masculine. Mm -hmm. Where she thought it's completely okay to pick a restaurant that is like 30 minutes away from my house. But only 500 minutes away from her. Mm-hmm. then pick the food and everything and it was just like a weird experience for me but this was back in the day where i did not have that much experience myself nowadays you try to pull that i would just want i would just not agree to come to a place that far away when it's so close to you now i do no. the opposite <laughs> thing I, I was telling you earlier right? i typically do first dates at a place near my house
0: right and you show up late to make it seem like you you, you live far away <laughs>
1: I don't show up late intentionally. Sometimes what happens is I have things show up for the work and I end up getting late. Of course, it's always awkward, you know, when the girl has come like 30, 40 minutes to this place and you live two minutes away. Man, you make her drive that far. I'm worth it.
0: (laughs) That actually shows that there's high interest there where sometimes you'll ask the person, hey, are you down to meet here? And she'll just say yes. And then later on, you guys are in the date, and you'll ask, well, "Where did you come from?" She's like, "River, Riverview." I'm like, Riverview—that's like forty-five minutes away. She's like, "Hee hee," <laughs> which is that I just wanted to see you, and that's a green flag. Uh, and hopefully, the date goes well. But um, so you guys eat at uh, that first date, um, and if it goes well, you guys go to—is—is is it a plaza where you could do different things?
1: it's near my house and well then if it goes well i might just invite her to where i stay have some fun or we might just get something to drink or whatever you know not exactly alcohol but you know these ice creamy drinks yeah see there's a trick i'm going to teach you a trick where if you want a girl to be more comfortable with you take her out to three places in your first date
0: bro you're it makes them that's what i do
1: It makes them think that they've known you for a while because in their head, the memories are going to be, okay, so I have been with Harsh to a restaurant, to this dinner cafe and to this place as well and to the garden and whatever, whatever. I must have known him for a long time. Right, right. So I shouldn't be shy with him.
0: Mm -hmm. This is one of those situations. Remember, we were talking about hookah before. Mm -hmm. Hookah is one of those places where it could be the best state of your life or the worst state of your life. It's one of, it could be the best date if um, you, you guys just go and let's say you're a hookah smoker, she's a hookah smoker. There's always a vibe there because the lighting is set up for you. There's some chill music. Uh, different folks are often social. You may know certain folks, so they'll talk you up. So that part, it could be the best. But well, let's say it's going a little too well, and now you guys are going back to your crib. That's when it could be one of the worst dates of your uh, life because hookah it restricts blood flow down there. So you're not going to be able to get it up if you're smoking a bunch of hookah. So you gotta be right, right. So you gotta be very careful if you're one of these hookah smokers.
1: What is your first day strategy? What do you do?
0: Man, coffee, coffee or ice cream, something very light. And nowadays, um nowadays there's actually a movement where some girls like they'll say if he's not going to take you out to a dinner if he's going to even suggest coffee for the first one ghost them which is a movement nowadays like did you hear about that i don't know but i understand right but but my, my thing is look i want to make sure that there's some chemistry and overall like most girls like don't let these movements fool you this isn't the uh, depiction of reality most girls actually love coffee dates because they're like okay now it's an informal situation i can let my guard down i could have some fun we're getting some caffeine it's going to be a fun vibe so the coffee house i go to it could be one's a corporate one but one's like a legitimate coffee house where i know the guy uh because he this used to be around during my undergrad and he still works there he still owns it so it's a he always throws in extra treats and such. So I'll do that. And then afterwards, if it's going well, there's a pizza spot right by. And it's a very quick bite. It's not one of those where you're full. And then afterwards, I mean, that the third one really depends on how the date is going. Right. Uh, Sometimes I could see that the girl, she's really into movies. She's like, I really want to watch the new Toy Story movie. I'm like, well, we can. I mean, there's a movie theater right here. And then Uh, Other times, she's just like, I really just want to go sightseeing. And there's this butterflies uh, garden where you can see a bunch of butterflies around my area. So we could just do that. But normally for the first time meeting, I don't try to go to the three spots unless it's a vibe. Uh, Otherwise, I'll just do coffee and then we'll plan something else next time. If we plan something else next time.
1: That makes complete sense to me. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've heard in your country going out to a restaurant is actually expensive is it not
0: Yeah well it depends on the restaurant too because some give the vibe of it being fancy but it's not that expensive like certain mexican spots if you go it, it's it looks very fancy but you could get a nice meal for 15 bucks for yourself and another 15 bucks for your date you spend 30 bucks you tip and you leave spending less than 50 bucks
1: Yeah that is considered an expensive meal where I'm from
0: But you want to make sure you're not a foodie call. You know what that is?
2: I'm
1: going to guess that it's where the girl is using you for free food.
0: Right. Like a booty call is when someone you're using another Uh, person just to have sex. Yeah. So Some girls have like foodie calls like all days of the (laughs) week. I've seen a, a viral video of that once. Like Matt is Monday's foodie call. Jake is Tuesday's foodie call. I'm like, what a broke thing to do. You are such a broke person. If that's what you do to get a meal, see, <laughs> if you're a guy and you go out with a girl
1: three, four times and you can't even get a kiss out of her, or just just move on, bro. She's not interested. Right. Personally, three, four times is a bit too much nowadays. Like you can do it in like three dates, two dates.
0: Right. Yeah, and you always got to know which season you're in. Are you in like the hookup season or are you trying to find someone serious season? And that's when your strategies need to evolve with you or you don't want to be applying straight up negging all the time if you're trying to see that hypothetically, let's say this girl, there's already a vibe there. You don't want to ruin it. You want to do some banter, of course, but you got to really know which season you're in.
1: Man, negging is one of those things where I wouldn't recommend it unless you already have some experience Mm -hmm. and i know because so this was back when i was like 18 years old or some many 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 years ago there's a girl who i know and this girl at that time was maybe 26 24 maybe 24 and for some reason she looks much older than she is she looks like she's 30 (laughs) and
0: I'm not even joking. I don't even know what I was
1: thinking.
0: It's a little subtle jab, and then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I'm negging. I'm like, you look like you're 30, and she still hates me.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's been like almost a decade. It's been almost a decade, and she still hates me.
2: Man,
0: that's a mean neck, too, bro. That's like I calling a girl you... fat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I've done that a lot of times. I've oh, done that no, a lot. Man.
0: See, with negging, I mean, the way that I see it is like, you kind of look like my sister or you remind me of my mom. And then it's just like, wait, what? What does he think of me as? And now you created some ban... I don't really like the word negging too much because it actually leads with a negative perception. I like the phrase banter more, where you joke with them a little. Here's a funny banter situation I can give you. By so, the
1: way, I've hmm. never had any problems with calling girls fat. I've dated a lot of girls who are not actually fat. Mm-hmm. But maybe they were having a bloated day and I would just call them, hey, you look fat today. And they'd be like, what? But they would get over it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, the the delivery matters. Uh, but most of you guys listening to this, if you guys don't have the delivery, I don't know if, because the way you said it right now, I'm like, there's charm infused in it. But some guys, they don't have any charm. They'll say, hey, they're looking fat today. What? I said the same words harsh did. It's
2: like, it's your delivery <laughs> fam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you got to be like in a cheerful mood and be, what's the word for it? Be lighthearted. If you say yeah, serious shit, anything you say, hey, I think if like, um, you like, you're like my sister. You are like my sister. That is something that would be taken seriously. Like, whoa, okay, why would you say that? But you're like, hey, you're like my sister, man.
0: Man, they literally made an Everybody Loves Raymond episode after what you're saying. So the main character is Ray. And one day his friends were over and he's just calling his wife a bunch of random stuff. He's just like, hey, Piglet. Hey, Tubby. Just as a joke, sort of like you are. The friends are like, wait a minute, man. You're kind of insulting her. And then Ray's like, no, if I do it in a cute voice, I could call her anything that I want. And the friends are like, well, call her um, call her like a, what's that word? Skank. Call her a smelly skank. I say it in a cute voice. All right? So Ray's like, trust me, it'll work. So he's like, hey, my smelly little skank. And she got so mad. And that was the, <laughs> <just the toughest.
2: laughs> like, Would you just call me?
0: <laughs> so it's like sometimes you're pushing your luck. And then it could be enough where she's just like, nah, nah, nah. That, that, you just hurt my feelings.
1: See, the thing is that if you are married to someone or dating someone seriously, and then you're doing this type of stuff, Then you have certain risk, right? If the girl girl gets pissed off or you see something that actually hurts her a lot, you have to face the consequences. You call a random date fat. She doesn't like it. She leaves. Well, so what? Who cares? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a girl who wouldn't have been around for quite a while anyway. Right. So you have to know what situation you're in and how much this girl means to you.
0: Did you have a very bad date story where you're just like, man, never again? Or you've already told me a couple nothing those about really us? bad mm-hmm. okay, this so this
1: particular bad. one where I had to travel a lot and then come back it took me like 45 minutes I'm like I wasted two hours three hours on this stage why would I do that what kind of stupid ass idiot <laughs> I am that I did this I could have right. done so much in these three hours but I'm telling you I've I have a weird personality when it comes to productivity where Even though I enjoy going out, it makes me feel a certain amount of guilt when I spend too much time on fun. For example, I told you, right, when this was one of my first times and I'm out with this girl, the date takes like three, four hours, then we go to her apartment, we have fun. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, this is fun, but I just spent four or five hours on this. I could have done so much stuff in that time. This is not Mm -hmm. as good as I thought it would be.
0: Mm, okay, see that I could see that mindset being good and bad too. It's good because you're getting productivity out of the way. It could be bad because it sometimes takes you out of the present.
1: It does. It does. It lets you not enjoy certain things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For example, I'm I'm not even joking. It's like for most guys, the first time they're doing something like that, it's like, oh, this is amazing, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <would dude>.
0: rather... <laughs> and that could be another one of your red flags where you may, in relationship dynamics, you may lack the spontaneity, which a lot of girls want because your your business is spontaneity. You're doing so much different things where it's like you want some stability in one part of your life. So that could be one of those things that is like, oh man, it's a red flag.
1: I don't think I'm not spontaneous. I've never heard a girl complain about that. Mm -hmm. but what i'm saying is
0: i see what you're saying it's hard to i bro me and you are cut from the same cloth that's literally me where sometimes i'll be having a fun time i'm at the beach i'm like man i could have been doing x y and z so the beach better be really fun if it's even a little non-fun then my mind goes back to how many hours am i wasting
1: it's something i need to learn to calm down with but who knows man maybe it'll happen eventually I remember telling some of my uh, more richer friends about this. Like, have you guys have had similar experiences? And they're like, don't worry about it, bro. As you get older, it's going to like tone down. Mm -hmm. Apparently, if you are an ambitious 20-something, this is a normal experience to be going through. So I don't overthink it.
0: Well, it's good that you put that in words because I'm pretty sure a lot of folks that listen to these episodes... Whenever we're putting certain ambiguous things into words, they're like, oh, wait a minute, I have the same thing happen to me. So it's good that you put it, uh, that experience out there, because I'm sure some, a lot of people can relate. But they think something's wrong with them. They're like, man, is something wrong with me? How come I can't have fun like that? But you just said it.
1: Yeah, I think that really helps a lot of people. I, I would agree with that. In fact, I've had like the other side where I'm listening to someone who is writing and I'm listening to a writer or somebody and they're talking about an experience. And for some time, I used to think I'm weird for being the only person who thinks this way. And then I'm like, wait a minute, there are more people like me
0: out there. Mm -hmm. One of the times that that's happened to me is where, man, I don't know what it is, bro. And I, I get this, the macho thing, but I just can't cry. Where it could be a funeral. It could be, I'm really sad, but I'm not like you know, I'm not a crier, bro. And I'm thinking, man, everyone in this funeral is crying besides me. And now I'm looking like some sort of psychopath. So sometimes I'll wear sunglasses, but here, if you wear sunglasses to a funeral, that's considered disrespect. So now I'm just like, you know, I got, I got to face (laughs) at at times or just, I'll just do it like this. Right. And then I saw this one guy, I forgot who it was, who was explaining that he can't cry either. I was like, Oh wait, there's another one of us. You
1: know, this reminds me of a funny story. Uh, my cousin's sister recently got married. I was telling you about her.
0: Did you cry during the wedding?
1: Not really. So she's my cousin, not my actual sister. <laughs> but what happens is at the end of the wedding in Hindu culture, the girl goes to her, fa- you know, the husband's house.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's when the girl's mother and the people she lives with cry a lot because now she's forever going away from their house. And it's a sad thing, of course. I mean, if a girl has lived with you for 25 years and suddenly she's moving away, you're going to cry. And my cousin brother, this girl, my cousin sister's actual brother, he isn't crying at all. He's like, bye. (laughs) 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 He's like, (laughs) whatever. And everyone's, after the, after she's gone, a couple of us and we're like, hey, why don't you cry? And he's like, what do you mean? Why am I, why would I cry? First right. of all, I get kicked out of my room because my sister needs the room for herself because she has so many of these wedding clothes show up. Uh-huh. And she wants to spend all night talking to her fiance. So I have to sleep on the sofa <laughs> for three months. <laughs> Finally, I can sleep on my bed again.
0: <laughs> See, his situation is different from mine though because he doesn't actually seem sad but sometimes i would be very sad where it's like i feel this strong sensation where my, when my brother moved to philadelphia and we spent like m- most of our lives together and i know that like now it's not going to be the same the day that he was walking uh, away i felt this strong pull uh, of sadness because it's never going to be the same again um we still keep in touch but just being in a physical uh, geographic location with your sibling and most siblings would at that point would have just been crying nonstop. I felt that strong feeling, right? You you ever felt intensely sad before? Yeah. Like where your body is like feeling light and heavy at the same time? It was like that. But the concept of crying didn't happen to me at all. So eventually some friends hit me up. They're like, damn, bro, this must be like uh, everything good. I said, like, yeah, everything's good. I'm pretty sad. Like, Did you cry? I'm like, no, nah, man, not at all. Uh, and an outsider will look at it and be like oh no look by judging by armani's mannerisms he's not sad but internal armani is sad are you like that like do you cry ever in intense sadness
1: the last time i cried was when my grandma died
0: and that wasn't too long ago right that was three years ago two years ago 2017 oh okay gotcha
1: other than that, I don't remember myself crying. I remember crying. I don't know how old I was, but I got hit in the face by a tennis ball while playing tennis, mm-hmm. and it hurt like a bitch.
0: Yeah, that doesn't. But I must
1: count. be twelve years old or something. Yeah,
0: because that's a physical thing. That when I broke my thumb playing basketball, like tears just automatically fall down. I also cried
1: when my grandfather died. I cried a lot. I cried much more for my grandmother.
0: When did your grandpa die? That was more recent, actually. That was that was more was, recent, yes. Oh, that's the one. Okay.
1: I don't remember which year he died. I think it was last year. I, for I mean, some fucking reason, I can't remember now.
0: Man, I recall. No, I actually do remember because you were messaging me around that time. And then we had the episode. I'm just like, man, do you want to record? And you soldiered it through.
1: What about you? When was the last time you cried?
0: Man, I got to think about this, bro. Long time, man. I mean, probably when I was probably when I was 16 and I just got suspended. And I recall my parents were call- like, they were so disappointed. And I-, I forgot. I just cried because I thought I was supposed to. And I mean, it was bad because everyone was kind of reinforcing that I'm in really big trouble. So I just cried as an autopilot. Like, I- I'm supposed to so that was the last time uh, 16
1: it's funny isn't it when you're in school how much premium you place on these threats made by schools like you're gonna get suspended bro if you do that to me now i'm like go fuck yourself Bye. Big.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah in, in 16 years old if you're getting suspended that's big uh, especially if you get expelled that what i did i was actually going to get expelled from my school where i wasn't even allowed in that school that's how bad it what was what had you
1: dead. done what had you done
0: so I told the story in detail a long time ago. So I'll just give the cliff notes version. I basically skipped school and with a friend to play basketball, I got caught uh, by the principal. And once the principal took me back to school, rather than giving him my name, I gave a fake name. So did my buddy. We both gave fake names and that's something you don't do. So this principal is writing referrals to the wrong name. Joe Schmo. That is actually one of the other guys I knew that never came to school. And eventually, I was discovered for what I did. The guy went through the yearbook, found me, and he got pissed. He was go- he suspended me for a week, but there were like group discussions that I should be expelled from the school. So it, it was pretty bad. And uh, th- the different variations of the story got around. Everyone's just like, "Oh yeah, I heard Ar- Armani punched the principal. That's why he got suspended." <laughs> that's what people are like they'll get a story and they'll amp it up when you're not there um so yeah it, it got bad and then I was getting calls from different folks like bro you really fucked up and that's when one day I'm sitting by myself uh my parents are sad my brother is disappointed my uh, classmates everyone's telling me that I fucked up so it was like a world against me and i was just like uh, that's when I cried so that was age 16.
1: <laughs> I see yeah <laughs>
0: But it felt like I had to, you know, it's not like it wasn't an impulse, like, you know, go ahead and cry. But um, yeah, man, I mean, I'm just not a crier. Uh, uh, there was this big debate on Twitter recently I saw. Uh, I'm pretty sure you saw it, too, where th- there was that debate about crying. I use Twitter surprisingly less, even though I have a business based on Twitter. Okay, well, some girl t- t- tweeted that it was very feminine for a guy to cry at his wedding. and I then. Agree. Right. And then uh, a bunch of guys, especially guys, I think you follow as well, like hardcore into like the masculine side of things. They were quote, retweeting that tweet, bashing the girl talking about situations where they cried and the wedding was one of them. And they listed different moments when the child was born, uh, when a grandparent and such died, but they were making that case for why certain moments guys can cry. I was looking at it. I was just like, I don't know. I mean, it's too early to tell, but um I heard as you get older, more situations present itself to cry. I just don't see it right now for me.
1: Likewise, I agree with the girl sentiment where it's feminine to cry, but I don't think it's wrong to cry in the sense that, I mean, let me find the right words for it because apparently this is a controversial topic because they were debating it.
2: Mm-hmm. I, don't think you follow. Mm-hmm. I don't think
1: it's... I don't think it's so bad to you know be a bit feminine every once in a while for example you know one thing I would consider feminine is being very caring but sometimes you should be very caring sometimes it's a good thing some likewise it's very masculine to be very brave to charge into situations bravely and things like that but there are also times where you should not do that where you should be more cautious where you should retreat so I agree that crying is a feminine thing, but I don't think that there aren't situations where being a bit feminine can be beneficial. So I would say that is
0: my take on it. Right. My take is, it really depends on the circumstance. If you are crying because you're losing a debate and so you
2: <laughs> Yeah, you're, I don't mean crying, crying for stupid post- no, shit no, like no, that. No, right? no, no,
0: I, exactly, exactly. You, you're a pussy to me. But if your dad died, right, and you're crying, Nothing for me, I'm not looking at you less, especially like if you're doing it on your own or if you're if you're doing it even around me, I think it's much safer to cry around your boys when something really bad happens than crying in front of a girl where there's obviously this is a polarized statement where some girls are like, no, no I want the guy to open up to me. From my experience, it's much better to cry around your boys because your boys are going to be like, all right, bro, it's all good. And then they'll, you guys will go back. There's an easy bounce back rate. Where certain girls will be like, ah, Gosh, okay, what do I do now? Um. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm like that with the crying thing. Where, I don't know, man, one of these days when it's a super intense moment, it could happen. Because sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's subconscious. It just, for me, man, I don't know, man, I, the crying is just not in my thing. And, and I heard that's a red flag. It could be a red flag within certain groups. Like was I don't know. I it. would not say it's a red flag. Okay, good, good, good. That's why when I saw that guy write it into words, I'm like, okay, so there's someone else like me. I think that's what these episodes do every now and then, Hirsch, where because there's no agenda for these episodes. We actually talk about a, a fuck ton of different concepts, right? So every now and then, I think we stumble onto t- topics where other people are like, hey, talk more about that. I actually had no clue that others thought like this as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Man, what is a common red flag you find in guys that we don't have? Like just a general red flag in men.
0: Man, bro, one thing actually could be the anger where one of my like roommates, one of my previous roommates, he used to live with two other roommates at his house that he owned. And these guys, whenever they would get angry, they would punch a hole in the wall. Right. So this roommate of mine is like, bro, I always have to just fix the walls when these two guys were my roommate. Like, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are they punching the walls for? It's like, I don't know. And that's what a lot of guys do. They'll just punch the walls. They'll break shit when they can't control their emotions at all. They're very impulsive. So you got to watch out for these guys where if you can, that's why the shit testing exists in the first place, where some girls will say, well, can you control your temper? And a lot of these guys that are punching holes in the wall, they'll say, yes, I can control my temper. Okay. I mean, anyone can say that, <laughs> right? So that's why shit should test the concept exists in the first place because girls are physically way smaller than men. So they're like, okay, well, of course he's going to tell me he can. Let me just do a little test to see if he really can. And so if you can logically understand this, uh, hopefully... People don't personalize shit tests too much. This is actually a clue that she's seeing you as a potential mate. She just wants to see how you can control your emotions. But the red flag definitely, man, is that a lot of men are really boys. And they haven't grown up.
2: Mm. You can't use anger. You,
0: mm-hmm. you can use anger, but you don't want to do it in a way where you're just breaking shit. You should be a real man can use anger to build, not to break. Uh, do you have any any red flags, not for yourself but with others, guys? With
1: guys, I do. I think the biggest red flag is a lack of ambition. But one <laughs> once again, it's hard to say if it's a red flag or just a personality trait.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, some people are just born more ambitious than others. I would say, but I I can tell you one test. It's a shit test. Now that you mentioned shit test, that there's a guy on Twitter called. Tell your son this. Have you heard of him? Illimitable Man. Mm-hmm. And he published an audiobook with my publishing company, Strong and Publishing. And we were just talking, and he told me about a shit test that works well for him. And the idea is this what you want to test for is how the girl behaves when she is angry or when you are wrong and you are being angry with her. And you want to find out her reaction to that because a lot of people are normal, but when they get angry, they tend to explode. Or they tend to, you know, when you have a small thing to be angry about, but you'd make it a big deal and you'd ruin someone's day like that. Mm -hmm. A little like that, you know, where they have no control over how far they're making, you know, make a hill out of a mole or something like that. And the test is that you want to start a false argument where you're clearly in the wrong. And she's clearly right, but you're being very angry and you want to see how she reacts. Okay. So a healthy girl will explain her case. Like, okay, wait, why are you being angry? This and this happened. But if you don't calm down, you keep getting angrier and angrier. A healthy, intelligent girl will apologize and make you calm down. A red flag is when she starts getting angry herself and it becomes a screaming match.
0: Okay but you were initially in the wrong and you're trying to see if she's going to remain grounded, right? Exactly.
1: I'll give you an example of this. Mm-hmm. For example, there was a girl who I who I wasn't dating back then, but some of my friends thought that I was dating her, so they would not talk to her. In the sense, they would not interact with her much because they're like, this is Harsh's girl, so we should not get close to her. And because I wasn't dating her, she was just a friend back then. And She she would be like, why do none of your friends talk to me? And I told her like, they don't talk to you because they think we're dating. So she's like, can you tell them that we're not dating? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, when we go out, it's four of us and none of them talk to me except for you. And that's when I ran this test on her and what I'm like, I pretended to be angry. So what do you mean? Like, do you like my friends? (laughs) If you like someone, I just like, just let me know. And I pretended to be like angry Right. and at first she tried to explain herself she's like no 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 this is not what I meant I just meant you know they're not interacting with me and then I pushed it I got like a little angry at her like you know being a bit aggressive like hey, what, you know we can't be friends anymore this is such bullshit how can you say this and then she starts apologizing and that's a healthy response you know for from a girl's perspective she's trying okay. to apologize calm my emotions down and normalize the situation be like okay okay it's my fault relax I'm sorry it won't happen again
2: Mm-hmm.
1: because a girl who's smart and she's being faced by unrestrained anger is going to first calm you down. And then most guys eventually a day or two later are going to be like, hey, wait, I think I was being unreasonable and they're going to apologize anyway.
0: Yes. I don't know. About I'm that, sure. but I get it. I get the whole logic behind it, but to me, that's a very, that's not a smart thing to do. Just to, uh, I I get your rationale behind it though, because you are right. A lot of girls will try to calm the situation down and be like, um, hey, let's cool off. But putting yourself in a position like this, I think there's different ways to measure it. Because these are one of those situations where it could definitely be a dynamite. And she's like, man, this is a feminine dude right here. It might, it might. So of course, you can't
1: just do it out of the blue. She has to know that you're not feminine. Mm -hmm. but you have to present it such that you believe you're completely in the right where, you know, it it can't be something very transparent where you're just actually bullshitting. There has to be some kind of, you know, presumption that you actually believe what you're saying. Right. And I do think that it's a reasonable test to make once with a girl. At least once you should do this.
0: Once, yeah. I, I could see a case being made for that, but just play devil's advocate. I, I wouldn't recommend that. The, it, it is interesting, though, to hear different shit tests from the guy's aspect. Because I've always heard of shit tests that girls do on guys. I never heard of a guy saying he's done a shit test on a girl.
1: There's a lot of tests you can do to a girl.
0: Like Some are reasonable. Some are a little kooky. But... Man, you know what the ultimate shit test is? No one talks about it. Titanic, bro. I told you about this, right?
1: i don't remember but i remember you talking about it
0: yeah it's like if anyone's watched titanic you ask the girl hey is rose a g- g- wifey material or is she a hoe and if she says oh, no no or what rose did was completely right watch out that could be a red flag because rose if you really watch titanic as an adult she betrayed that guy that was cal cal is her husband he's paying for her, her and her family, he's supporting their lifestyle. And Rose is over here cheating on Cal with a guy. So if you watch it as an adult, it's like any reasonable person will say, no, nah, man, Rose is a hoe. Uh, so if the girl is caping very hard for Rose, beware.
1: Ah, oh, that's an interesting one. I had not heard of that.
0: Yeah. I told my brother to try it. I was like, hey, try it on, on uh, you know, your wife. See what she says. And immediately, she passed with flying colors. She's like, I can't believe Rose would cheat on her husband on a cruise that he paid for. I'm like, to my brother, you got (laughs) to but But but, um, discretion is advised because a lot of folks, they just like the movie Titanic so much that It's not; uh, they're not going to analytically think this through. They're just going to be like, no, 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 I like Rose a lot. And they'll just cape for Rose regardless. So don't divorce your wife just because (laughs) she didn't call out Rose. Uh, I I just thought that was a funny shit test. You know, one more shit test. It's not exactly
1: Uh a shit test, but this is more relevant for Western people because the girls date a lot. If a girl says, you know, my ex-boyfriend was toxic or the guy before that was toxic and seems like every guy she's gone out with is toxic,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You're next.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this isn't just with girls, it's with life in general. If you see an account consistently start stirring up drama with other people, it's eventually going to happen to you.
1: A hundred percent. Yes. So that's something to keep in mind, by the way. People's personalities don't just change because it's you.
0: Mm hmm. Man, I'm really glad that me and you haven't had any like big conflicts or anything where. I- I always like to use the word yet, uh, but it's. I know you one time said it's because we have aligned interests, but I also think it's because, um, I don't know, man. I, I think we're just both we're chill, men. laid back. Yeah, we're men, we're, but uh, look at the manosphere and a lot of these places where whenever something scales or whenever there's multiple interactions, cattiness ensues, right? And I haven't had a single moment like that with you, which is a pleasant surprise. See, I don't have any time for drama with anybody.
1: You know, sometimes right. on Manosphere, they like call me out, you know, Life Math Money did this, said this.
0: Yeah. And I'll see their post and I'll be like, I don't have time for this and I'll just ignore <laughs> it. I'm expecting like, some kind of reaction out of this. <laughs> I feel like if it's called Manosphere, you guys of all people cannot be catty. You guys cannot be uh, like doing reaction videos or just dissing one another. Like, you can't do that. The Manosphere niche and the monk niche. I don't want to see monks stirring up drama with one monk Swami V calls out Swami S Swami S claps back I don't want to see that
1: <laughs> yeah so it's a funny space I'm not even joking like 90% of the time if when I don't react to the drama they're producing they just delete their tweet like I big, they accounts. Look like a bitch, right? big accounts yes so if I say something they don't like they might just try to start some drama or be like this guy is a complete dweeb look at what he's saying and typically, I just don't have time. I, sometimes I don't even notice them.
0: Does it get under and your skin when they frame you as a dweeb? I don't give a shit. Okay, no, because you're a pretty... Like, you take athleticism and fitness in a high light And it seems as though they try to marginalize that because you're anonymous. And, or they just disagree with the tweet that you wrote.
1: See, it's like this. A, a girl I was dating... And she sent me a video of some influencer and the influencer was saying, she was a fat influencer chick with some Instagram video and she was making a bold claim and she's like, so what do you think of her opinion? And I was telling her, she's fat. I don't care about her opinion at all. Like, Why have we reduced to the point where we are going to consider and discuss the opinions of a fat chick? (laughs) No. The same thing applies to the manosphere. Have we gone to the point where we're going to take and debate about the opinions of some dude making 150k a year? No. (laughs) So.
0: What are some pros and cons of being anonymous?
1: Well, the biggest con is that if you are doing it seriously as a business, it takes a bit away from your credibility, right? Like for me, I do LMM as a hobby that makes me some money but it's not a business for me and since I'm unknown it kind of takes away from some credibility I I could be anybody right? I could be like a fat guy living somewhere in you know somewhere I don't even claim to be I I could be living in China working in a sweatshop making 20 bucks a month or something like that Mm -hmm. you don't know that so it takes away some from my credibility However, you can mitigate that by doing shows like this. For example, some guy living in a sweatshop could not produce content of this type so consistently and couldn't talk on a podcast because if you try, it's actually very hard to make up shit on this on this on the spot, you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can't try this. like let's say someone if you never worked, if you never started a business, try making a five minute conversation about how to start a business. You will stutter so much and you would just not know what to say. It's really hard to talk on the fly about something you do not know about. So, someone who is faking it will not be able to speak like this on any topic. So, you can mitigate Mm. it to some extent. However, it is still there. I've seen anonymous people claim to be billionaires and what have you. And it's like, I mean, he could be telling the truth, but I'm inclined to believe he's not. Right. So, there is that aspect of being anonymous the positives are that it's much better for your privacy right you can say what you think you don't have to worry too much about getting fired from a job if you have a job if you have a job i would highly recommend being anonymous because the way the world is going you say something wrong and you get fired Mm -hmm. so that that it protects you from getting canceled essentially and there are certain topics where it's much better to be anonymous if you're talking about them for example, like you described, there was this movement in your country called Black Lives Matter and some restaurant had commented on it and he got his restaurant burned down. If you're going to talk about Black Lives Matter, I would recommend being anonymous.
2: Mm.
0: Like these hardcore political opinions, especially you're saying don't do it with a full-time job and show your face.
1: Don't do it with a full-time job for sure. But if you're going to talk about these incendiary groups where, you know, saying something bad about them might get you killed or get your house burned down or put your safety at risk, I would recommend being a non. I mean, if someone's going to criticize Islam, just don't do it with your face, bro.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or if someone's going to criticize Black Lives Matter, don't do it with your face. You're going to criticize LGBTQ, don't do it with your face. All of these groups where they put your safety at risk, it's not worth it.
0: Right. Okay. So the cons you say are that every now and then it could hurt credibility if it was a full-time income for you, which it isn't. But the pro is that you get more privacy.
1: Well, yes. For example, if you want to start some kind of business that's more related to fitness, let's say you are selling a fitness guide, but people can't actually see if you're fit or not. Well, that's going to be a problem for your business, is it not?
0: I think for you, it works because a lot of it is conceptual stuff. Where you're telling For me, get, I
1: just do mm. not care enough. Yeah, LMM is like 10% of my income at this point. I just do, doesn't really matter, right? Even if I was to show my face, triple it, like who gives a shit?
0: Who gives a shit? So why are you, because I mean, even though it is 10% of your income, I mean, writing blogs, uh, writing tweets, even doing these videos, it's it takes time on your end. Uh, uh, do you mainly do it because it creates a positive impact or any other reasons?
1: See, I have multiple businesses and they make a lot of money, but the way I think of those businesses are, they're like machines who generate cash. Mm-hmm. They provide yeah. some kind of service to the customer. They give the customer something he wants and in exchange I get money. But with LMM, I think like this is the most impactful thing I do. This is the most meaningful work that I do that actually changes a lot of lives. Because I will all the time, I will get messages from a young man who's like, hey, I was going to commit suicide. But after reading your blog, I feel like I have my life in control or I lost 20 kilos and I'm much better off Mm -hmm. or this and that. And I fixed my health. I feel much better about being alive. I started a business after looking at you. I went on my first hike. Here's a picture of my first hike. And I think Mm -hmm. that it impacts more lives and does more good to the world than just making money.
0: I've seen a lot of that. Yeah, I've seen. I've been seeing a lot of folks recently do trekking because of you. And then they'll tag you.
1: Yeah, they'll tag me like, here's a picture of me trekking. Thank you for inspiring me to do it. And I think that it creates more good in the world. So it's worth it.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you need more accounts that aren't just doing random nonsense all the time, just playing pranks and then stirring up drama. I mean, if you can inspire someone to do something with their lives that they didn't even, first of all, know that they can do. Then they do it. Then they give you credit. That, that's goodwill. And the most powerful type of marketing is that word-of-mouth marketing.
1: Moreover, I think of it as good karma.
0: Good
2: Going karma, back right. to
1: what we were talking about earlier about Hinduism. Mm-hmm. This is how I think of Hinduism. It's like doing what is right, doing what is good, beneficial to the world, and not about singing songs. So This is my interpretation of it. I think mm-hmm. that LMM is a highly meaningful thing that I'm building and I think that it's going to help a lot of younger men as the brand grows because think about it think about it let's say that you you take any 15 year old what is he being bombarded by he's being bombarded by you know why it's okay for men to fuck other men why it's okay to convert to a woman why it's okay to chop your dick off why masturbation is good why being fat is good, why you're like a misogynist if you believe that girl should be a virgin at marriage, why you're wrong if you're this, et cetera. Anything that makes sense is being chastised, essentially. And you're being pushed down all these ideas which are essentially going to make you depressed at some or the other point of your life.
0: Right. Yeah, man. And it also connects back to something that we were saying before. Remember how we were talking about how numbers can easily mislead um you remember that part yes like what would you say that it's like this is something you give a bias to uh, where you're like eh, numbers if someone presents a bunch of numbers to me it's like trust me the studies say i'm not like oh my god man the studies say what and i'm inclined to believe it my worldview i, I believe i said it uh for me at least i put engineering in a very high pedigree i just think does it work right um I try to see what the machine is trying to do. Does it work? Um, And I think a lot of the concepts that you break down, it's like, you know, go to the gym. I mean, does it work? Of course it works. I mean, you could automatically see it. And these are concepts that I believe even my brand covers. Like if you learn how to express your ideas, you could easily make more money. I mean, we don't monetize these episodes, but uh, you start a podcast, you interview people, you could ask for jobs and such. So does it work? Uh, are there certain things that you have a bias for that allows you to like go past all the bullshit that you're being presented and you're like, no, 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 I put faith in this. I would say,
1: have you heard of something called the Lindy effect? The what effect? The Lindy effect. No. Where something is considered Lindy if it's been around for a long time and it has worked and something is not Lindy if it's very new and hasn't been fully tested. For example, something like plant-based meat is not Lindy. It's very new and we are yet to see the effects it's going to have on people. As opposed to say actual meat, which is Lindy, we've been eating it for a long time. So we know from experience that it's fine. So I would say I trust things that have been around for a long time and have a track record of working. And I don't trust modern information that may or may not be correct. For example, nowadays they tell you that eating meat might cause you cancer. I'm like, the fuck you guys on about people have been eating meat for the f- longest amount of time and they've been just fine so I, do I not also diet. noticed
0: based off of the eye test I, I could tell if someone eats meat or is, doesn't eat meat Based I, maybe, what? just off the eye test like I, I could tell they have a certain look to them or they just seem more full I, I could be biased but I, I for a long time could tell uh, when unless I'm going to a wedding and it's a vegetarian wedding I look around and I'm like, yeah, a lot of these guys look with all due respect by the way, these guys don't look full. They're not filling up those Punjabis. <laughs> they look very I feel like I could push them and they'll fall. Uh where when you eat meat, it's um uh, from my experience it just makes you strong. Right? You have this different look to you, a different feel. Now, this is um this isn't uh this is just first hand experience by the way.
1: Anecdotal experience. I agree You're with right. you though. You right. have you are onto something there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's for every single vegetarian, but
0: right, right, a- exactly. That's what I'm trying to choose my words carefully. It's just sometimes like... it has an,
1: it has some mm-hmm. truth to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. So I- I've seen I've seen situations like that.
1: Oh, so speaking of red flags, for a lot of people, eating meat is a huge red flag in India. Really? Yeah, I was out with this girl and. I'm ordering something and she's like, are you going to eat that? I'm like, yes. And she's like,
0: you know, they torture chickens. I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) You never know, man. You know what's one of the most annoying things? When everything is going well, then that one boomerang comes in of annoyance. Where, like, hypothetically, I don't know about this girl, but let's say everything was going well and then she starts berating you about eating meat. It's like, dang, (laughs) I can't be with that.
1: Completely out of the blue, but I was like, okay. And she's like, you know, they torture chickens, they do this to the <sighs> chicken, and then they do that.
2: Right. Let
0: me just get my protein. I have to lift tomorrow. Bro, <laughs> another red flag. Uh, this is going to actually count uh, come as a surprise. People that just started self-improvement, not all the time, by the way, but if they just started self-improvement, a lot of them are very, I would say, I wouldn't say judgmental, but they have this false bravado. You don't really settle into self-improvement until you put in the work. And rather than building pride, you're building awareness. But certain times when someone is, keep talking about self-improvement, I read a lot of books, uh, I journal a lot. These folks can be very annoying. And more people need to watch out for that. At least in the dating atmosphere. I'm not talking about all atmospheres, but I'm talking about just fresh into self-improvement. Uh, it could every now and then get annoying
1: i can relate to that because i used to be that guy and i'll tell you what <laughs> i mean okay i would actually so when i was in self-improvement i had this misconception that other people also also want to improve and i would give them tips on how they could do something better for example if you give a speech mm-hmm. after the speech i would tell you hey so this is something something that something that could have been improved and the thing is, unless you you are in self-improvement, you're going to just think Harsh is an asshole. Right. He finds faults in everything. I'm like, I don't find faults. I, I like this speech. I think these were things that you could have improved. Mm-hmm. But many people, they just don't think that way. And it's something that took me quite a while to understand. I just did not, for some reason, I just did not see it for a long amount of time. It took me actually years to realize this where not everybody is into self-improvement and not everybody cares about bettering themselves. For example, if you're doing push-ups and you're doing them with your background rounded, your you know, hips high and you're like, I just did 20 push-ups and I'm like, that's really good, but try doing them this way. This, will make this It's better for your core and actually engages everything. Right. If you're into self-improvement, you actually care about this type of stuff, you will be like, thank you for telling me. But if you're not, you're going to be like, Hush is an asshole. He's just trying to show off that he can do more push-ups than me. Right. He wants me to be able to do less push-ups. That's why he's pointing it out. And mm-hmm. For some reason, it took me a while to understand that. So I right. I can relate to this. I, I used to be annoying that way to people.
0: And sometimes what you're improving in is not the exact same thing that someone else is improving in. So they're still improving, but in a completely different thing. Where a lot of folks that do self-improvement, in the beginning stages at least, they put a lot of priority on the gym, uh, productivity, uh, getting work done and such. Uh, But let's say they see their buddy, uh, Abhinav, who's always throwing parties, going to socials, and just being all buddy-buddy, and he's fat. If you're just looking at him from the lens of, well, he doesn't go to the gym like me, then this guy is a straight-up loser. But if you can tell that this guy can make friends seamlessly with anyone, he could put uh, shy people at rest, uh, awkward people uh, open up around him. He just has this charm. He's doing great in terms of social skills. So you don't want to use self-improvement in a way where it's just making you nitpick. Actually, one of the most popular blogs in the Armani Talks website is called The Psychology of Nitpicking. And every now and then someone messages me about that blog and they're like, fam, you probably just saved my marriage because I have been nitpicking for the longest time thinking that I've been doing something good, but I've been infuriating the other person This is us as human beings trying to get the logical mindset and trying to impose it on flawed creatures. Engineers have a problem with this. Like what you're describing that you got from self-improvement, I got it from engineering. It's like (laughs) (laughs) we are taught to troubleshoot and fix things. So if someone tells me they're going to be here at X time and then they show up at X plus 15 time, back then I would be like, wait a minute. You said you were going to be here at X time, but you showed up at X plus 15 time. Next time, uh, do X plus 15 minus 15. In my mind, it's all logical. And next time, they show up at X plus 25 (laughs) minutes time. I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) So the engineering mindset can condition you into nitpicking others.
1: Man, you know, I can completely relate to this. And I had a very, very funny situation happen to me Mm -hmm. where. I used to have this one friend who would consistently be late to group meetings. So this was back in 2015, where we would, I used to have like a circle of friends and we would all meet every once in a while. And this one guy would always show up two hours late for some reason. So it's two hours, two hours late. So (laughs) that's a long, that's a long time, but he used to live a little far away also. For example, if we were all going to meet at seven, everybody would show up around seven, but this guy would come at nine. If we had to meet at four o'clock, he would show up at six. So one time I'm organizing a meetup and we are supposed to meet at seven. So what I do is I'm like, this guy always shows up two hours late. So I called him at five. And on that day, he shows up one
2: time. <laughs> <laughs> like, you,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you became aware of DST. Do you know what that means? No. DST standard time.
1: Oh, man. (laughs) So they
0: say that they're going to show up at 5, they show up at 7. I don't know why I just got so alarmed by two hours late. That's DST. Because I used to be the event coordinator for my fraternity. I used to throw parties and everything. But I used to even throw these socials with sororities. So you're throwing these events with girls. So you want a bunch of guys there as well so it balances it out. And now everyone can socialize. And some of these guys are showing up two to three hours late. And now it's like, activate DST guys, the event starts at five, but it really starts at seven and boom, that was the fix. Ah, One of the leadership techniques that people should understand is that you don't want to be an optimist with people too much. You want to be a pessimist with them. Yeah. But when you're managing people and you're in a leadership position where you're in charge of organizing events, you do not want to assume that these people are smart by any means. You want to assume that they are straight up dumbasses. And what this does is this helps you simplify the process. Rather than bombarding too many people with activities, you just give one person a certain task. Hey, fam, for the potluck that our event is going to be about, all you are in charge of is bringing the samosas. Can you do that? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You bring the you bring, and You clarify it. And in addition to viewing them as a dumbass, you create a group me or a WhatsApp. And you stay in constant communication because if you think that they're smart, you're just going to tell them one time and assume that they're going to remember. But in the real world, that's not how it works. You see people's dark sides, the more that you have these e-board positions and different clubs.
1: You know, one thing I've learned from business is that Mm -hmm. the less people you have, the better your business is going to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did you learn this?
1: Simply because of the automation revolution that has happened in the past five, six, seven years. Earlier, you would have six employees and you would say execute 100 units of work. Now you have two employees and execute 300 units of work because of automation and software. And it's not only much easier for you to manage, you make a lot more money and you don't have to deal with people fighting, having ego clashes and things of that sort. The fewer people you have to employ, the better off you are.
0: Right. And that's such a counterintuitive concept versus the industrial age, because back then you were seen as a boss if you had a lot of people working for you. But you're right. I mean, with all this added technology, you don't need that as much as before. Before, there were actually you people. Want you right, don't want you don't it. want it. Because they come in with, and they turn your organization into a political organization.
1: Moreover, the thing is that nowadays it's become actually become very expensive to have employees. An employee can cost you a lot of amount and salaries, what have you, health insurance, et cetera, et cetera, headache. And it's like the software can do the same job in a tenth of the time, cost less money and not have errors. So why would I not use the software?
0: And the software doesn't argue back.
1: The software doesn't argue with anybody, yes. (laughs) And it's something that a lot of business owners are learning very, very fast. There used to be a McDonald's near my house. I mean, Mm -hmm. there still is. And what they would do earlier is that they would take your order at the table. So you would go, you would order your restaurant, you would pay in cash to the guy, and then he would bring your meal. Right. And now they have this tablet-like thing attached to the wall. And you can just click, 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 click. This is what I order. And then I just buy it and it comes to my table. It's much different, right? Now there is no guy who comes and takes your order and then brings you your food. Now you just click, click, click here, then pay using a QR code and your order is ready.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And even those positions in the back, those people who flip the patties, put in the fries, that's all going to be automated too. Probably, but
1: I'm I'm not sure if all this automation is probably going to turn out for the best for humanity. I think it is going to be for the better when it comes to efficiency. I do think there are a lot of people who, whose IQ is so low that they are not suited for any other type of work. And mm-hmm. I think we've had this discussion before and I am of the opinion that those guys are essentially going to become unemployable.
0: Okay. And my theory is that they're either going to take up production support jobs or customer support jobs. I think those are going to be two very desirable jobs other than the creative fields, of course. But those are going to be for the think that the group of people that you think are going to be employed, unemployed. I think they're going to fill up that, those two roles.
1: About customer support, I know a lot of businesses that are now making like, making some kind of manual and feeding it in some kind of chat GPT like thing. And it solves like, 50 to 60 percent of support queries automatically so you can make a big script this these are the most frequently asked questions and if the customer asks this respond with this and a lot of customer support things are essentially not being able to find the right option for doing something
0: a lot of customers hate doing that bro what do you mean they just want to talk to a person Especially they, if the if the crisis is high enough. They don't want to be clicking all these different buttons. Actually, it happened to me, man. I hate doing that. You like doing that?
1: No. So what I mean is, it's going to look like you're talking to a customer support guy. It's going to be like yeah. a chat box. You just type it and it gives you a solution. Mm-hmm. And if it can't find your solution, it's going to connect you to a human.
0: Yeah. I just That's the one thing. That's the first thing that we automated. But...
2: I, I, I,
0: I got to think about this more. I I see what you're saying because it actually happens in, if you sell audiobooks, it happens where sometimes you have like these little chat stuff that it seems like it's a human, but real talk, like for me, I'm like, just give me the human ASAP, especially if the crisis is big enough.
1: Yeah, for some things, of course, but if you actually do customer support and I I have done customer support because I have a bunch of companies and I make it a point to do some customer support myself.
0: You do it by yourself or you actually A lot of them
1: a lot of the time I do it by myself simply because I want to stay in touch with the guy who's buying the product. I want to know what he's facing Mm -hmm. and what he has to say. A lot of customer support queries are essentially the guys being lazy, you know. How do I change this setting? Like you go to settings and then you change it. It's that simple.
0: Right. You're right about that. Where if it's a something like that. Well, I get it because they think that this is a crisis, but from your lens, you're thinking you're being an idiot. But if it's a crisis, then they want to speak to a person. I do get your ultimate point, though, where small micro organizations are a big wave now. Let me ask you a question. Uh, You wear jeans, right? Yes. If I said, hey, and do you buy new jeans often? Or do you have to if they get tattered?
1: No, I don't buy new jeans often. I buy them once a year or something.
0: Is there something that you buy often? Let's say shoes. Do you buy shoes often?
1: Not often. I don't think there's anything I buy often. Whey protein powder I buy often.
0: Okay, let's just stick stick to a guy named Baba. Let's say Baba, every now and then his jeans rip and he's not liking it. And one day someone comes and says, Hey, Baba, if you spend $1,500, most likely these, these jeans will last you 50 years. And Bubba's already 40, so technically the jeans are going to last him for the rest of his life. Is he going to pay for it just so there's no hassle on consistently buying jeans? Yeah, he'll make the $1,500 purchase. Nowadays, there's a company that um, sells $1,500 jeans. It's a, called a micro-organization. So they have just four employees spending the entire year trying to sell 1,000 jeans, Right? So they're making roughly $1.5 million in uh, revenue. I don't know how much of that is in profit. But for a micro-organization, I'm thinking, man, that's such a lean and simple business. You just work with four people, that's your business, and you're responsible for getting 1,000 sales. Uh, And I'm sure there's a lot of bubbles out there that just wants to buy one high-quality jeans and just keep it at that. I don't know. I don't
1: know. It might work for them. I'm not sure about the merits of this business.
0: Right. It, it was just an example of the, how a lot of businesses nowadays are getting smaller and smaller. Um, What else? I mean, content businesses can do stuff like that too, where if you are very smart with it, you could really just run a content business with ideas and technology. You don't need that many people.
1: I agree. In fact, we're building something that might actually help people with this. It's called repurposeby.com and it's meant for Twitter creators who want to grow on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and all these other platforms. And what it does is it takes your tweet, it turns it into a video and it auto posts it to Instagram, it posts it to TikTok, it posts it to YouTube. So you can continue tweeting as normal and you can grow on all the other platforms. And I know it works because I got 20,000 followers in TikTok just by these videos. It's super simple to do. And if you're interested, sign up on repurposepie.com. And on that note, Arman, I need to get going. I have to get some dinner.
0: Okay, man. Uh, Sounds good. I mean, make sure you guys check out that website and make sure you guys drop a like on this episode.
1: Yeah, like, comment, subscribe, the whole nine yards and go to repurposepie.com. R-E-P-U-R-P-O-S-E-P-I-E.com. Easiest pie.